Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dose Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just wanted to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is Leanne Vignet from CatalyticColor.com. Leanne spells her name V-E-N-I-E-R. It looks like veneer, but it's pronounced Vignet. And her website, Catalytic Color, is C-A-T-A-L-Y-T-I-C-C-O-L-O-R.com. And all of Leanne's information is linked up in the show notes. On this episode, Leanne and I discuss Leanne's background. I asked Leanne why did she move to Italy. I asked Leanne to share with us the healing properties of light and how she deals with skeptics when it comes to light therapy. I asked Leanne to explain the different wavelengths of the different light spectrums. I asked Leanne about her thoughts on electromagnetic frequencies. I asked Leanne to discuss how different light spectrums treat different diseases. Leanne and I discussed the importance of adversity in helping us grow as human beings. I asked Leanne about how we can attain flow states. And finally, if Leanne could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would she invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Leanne and I hope you really, really enjoy it. 
Okay, Leanne, we are recording. Thank you so much for making time to speak to me again. So for the listeners, they'll be like going, again? It's like, yes, because we tried to do this a few weeks back and the internet was a little bit dodgy. It was conspiring on us. So yeah. we, uh, well. we booked in for a second date. But listen, it's uh, <laughs> great to see you. Great to hear from you. And uh, just great for the listeners. Yeah, of course. Oh, go ahead. For, for, <laughs> for the <laughs> listeners, give us the background, okay. the full rundown. Okay. Wait, you want me to do it? You want me to do it? Okay, okay. My background. Okay, um, yeah. Robbie wants the whole the whole shebang. Um, I come from a left brain engineering background. Formally, my formal education, my first degree was in uh, mechanical engineering. I used to design submarines for Lockheed. Prior to that, though, however, as a child, I was always very creative, very intuitive, very um, creating all the time. Writing, drawing. Uh, I trained as a classical pianist, so I've always had that left brain, right brain thing. Um, and yeah, <laughs> another thing you didn't know. Um, so when I when I decided to go to university, I chose to study mechanical engineering, and that was where I kind of like my everything started to go into tilt with my health because I wasn't finding it particularly fulfilling working in the corporate realm. And um, yeah, I was getting sick all the time because I was very, you know, like under a lot of stress and not enjoying my life. So um, I left that career and I chose to move to Italy. So I lived there for seven years and I studied all kinds of alternative healing modalities, um, starting from herbology, moving through up into the subtle energy realm and energy medicine, that sort of thing. Um, And many healing modalities with color as a foundation and as a connection. So, um, then I, I could go into, I could talk about that for an hour. Um, I came back to the States. Um, I, was, I was very interested in the Chinese medicine meridians, how energy moves through our body. So this, this life force energy, how do we circulate it through our body? What happens when it gets deficient? You know, that's where illness and disease comes from. So it all starts in the energy body. So I came back to the States, went back to um, school for uh, acupuncture and Zen Shiatsu and then moved up to British Columbia to finish my training up there for more of a five elements focus. And um, I had a healing practice working with cancer patients, decided to leave British Columbia because it was raining all the time and cold and cloudy and not very, oh my God, just cloudy. Stop it, don't do that. She's like, pay attention to me. Um, <laughs> um, so I came back to um, Austin and I, that was where I started a healing practice here, but I wasn't feeling drawn anymore to doing the one-on-one healing work. I'd been doing it for decades. The one constant throughout my life has always been my, my ongoing interest in the root of illness and disease, starting from when I was early in childhood, where I wouldn't take any pills that my, I come from a family of pill poppers and my mother would try to get me to take aspirin for every little thing. And I would just say, no, I don't want to take it. My body will fix itself. So, um, Long-standing history of understanding the the root of illness and disease and what's important to allow your body to come back into balance and to heal. And uh, so anyway, I when I came back to Austin, I wasn't feeling drawn anymore to doing the one-on-one healing work. So that was when I started painting. as Just as a creative right brain outlet, I wanted to get back into that zone, that flow state. And uh, I started creating abstracts on my own in my, you know, as a beginner painter and getting into flow state and creating these paintings that were way beyond my beginner skill level. So I started getting a lot of, without even trying, 
started getting a lot of international um, and national recognition for my paintings, and invited to um, uh, international art exhibitions. You know, my first one was in Ferrara, Italy, the very, within the first year of painting. Anyway, so long story short, um, kept getting articles written about my work, but it was through my paintings that became the catalyst for these conversations about color, how we respond to color, because people would see my paintings and they would be like, oh my God, I can't stop staring at your red paintings or your blue paintings or whichever paintings they were colors they were drawn to. And I would tell them, you know, one-on-one -on -one that, oh, well, if you're really drawn to that color and that particular series of paintings in that color family or that particular color, it may mean that you've got this going on in your body and this going on in your life. And every time they'd be like, oh my God, that's exactly what's going on in my body in my life. How do you know that? And I would tell them that because you just told me, because we crave color just like we crave nutrients and we can use color and light to bring ourselves back into balance. So that became a whole series of conversations with different people and people kept pestering me to, you know, well, where's the book? I want to read a book about it. I'm like, well, there's this is hundreds of books and me connecting the dots between all of these disparate fields of study and it's in my head. Um, and then, well, can you at least put some of this on your website? So anyway, three years of people pestering me to do that, I finally did. And, um, and as soon as I did that, then I started, then that kind of really took off. And I started getting contacted by major medical centers to come and lecture for the medical doctors and the medical students about the healing effects of color and light. Um, so that was um, more than 13 years ago now. So I, I brought in hard science, connected it with ancient healing modalities, basically um, brought to the lay people in public the research which had been around since, you know, the early 1900s, literally the early 1900s, a guy in 1902 named Neil Finson won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for his research in using red light for healing the body, for healing different diseases. And um, um, part, this goes again back to, you know, thousands of years ago in ancient China, they used to use red silk cloths over a person that had smallpox and to heal the skin. So Niels Finson also discovered the same thing. Using red light would heal the skin, um, the scarring from smallpox. So um, anyway, but and this research, you know, more and more research starting with the first lasers starting in 1968 um, with Andre Mester who discovered that red light accelerates healing of the skin and accelerates hair growth. So the research, the scientific research had been around for, you know, literally decades, but nobody was paying any attention to it. So what I did was I brought light therapy and validated it with science and brought it to the masses as well as the medical community. So I did two two pronged approach where I was working directly with the medical community and then also lecturing and doing videos and things like that to explain all of this, explain the science in really simple terms, the physics. And um, so that even medical doctors who only study chemistry and they don't know anything about physics, even they could understand it. And lay people who didn't have any kind of science background could understand it and connected it with everyday real world experiences of how we respond to color and light and tied it all in with sunlight and evolution. So it made left brain logical sense for them from the scientific standpoint, from understanding the science, but then also from the right brain experiential standpoint. Because when you want somebody to be able to shift a, you know, like a heavily ingrained paradigm, you have to present it. You can't just present left brain facts and you can't just present, oh, you know what it feels like when you do this sort of thing, because 
they, people typically need both to be able to shift that paradigm. Um, so anyway, that was how it all started. And then it's just blown up from there. And I got invited to speak at the Mensa conference and South by Southwest Interactive and then some other big conferences, med major medical conferences. So I'm continuing to do that. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, just two years ago, I launched my own light therapy product line because for the first 10 years of doing this, I literally, I was like, I do not want to manufacture or sell a product. I just want to teach people about this. And I do not want my teachings to be diluted by the fact that I'm selling a product. So because there were now, as, as my teachings were getting out there and I'm getting more and more journalist interviews and people are blogging about this and it's just spreading you know, exponentially. And then, and then other influencers start jumping on the bandwagon, the light therapy bandwagon about five years ago or so. So I'm a little bit, you know, sooner, but, um, um, anyway, so now it's like become a very well-known healing modality, scientifically validated healing modality. And so what was happening was that more and more of these people were jumping on the light therapy bandwagon saying, Hey, you know, all I have to do is go and buy some industrial plant grow lights and rebrand them as light therapy devices and we can make a bunch of money. So internet marketers were doing that because, of, you know, they look for growing trends and what they can capitalize and make monetize. And um, so what was happening was that I had all along been getting email from people, you know, my followers, people that watch my videos and like, oh my God, I, I, the light bulb literally went on when I watched your video. And why does my doctor know about this? Doesn't know about this. Um, and and I would tell them, well, they will eventually. This is, you know, it's spreading, so it's, it's, it'll, it'll get there eventually. But um, um, the, the other problem, though, was that so people would watch my videos, and then they'd go on the Internet, and they'd be like, oh, my God, I, you know, I spent $8,000 on this device or 2000 or $3,000 on this device, and I got it, and I used it, and I followed the instructions, and it didn't do anything. And it was like, Leanne, what do you recommend? And I'm like, you know, I, if I could find something myself that actually worked, I would be more than happy to recommend it to you. The problem is I'm having a hard time finding products. They, they're not getting better. They're getting worse. So I was working with my own wavelengths and my own devices. And, and people are like, can you just make, your, make a device so you know, I can buy it? And I'm like, oh, I really don't want to manufacture and sell a device. And part of, part of that for me after I you know, realized I really didn't want to go back into anything to me that felt like engineering because my areas of specialization as an engineer were manufacturing and design. So it's kind of like a no-brainer that I would be able to manufacture and design my own device. Plus, you know, decades of healing experience and a, a really intimate understanding of you can't just take wavelengths of light to elicit these profound healing effects at the root level in the energy body. So it required ad additional energy medicine aspects to the light therapy device. So anyway, um, I finally agreed to do that and two years ago launched it. And we have just been trying to keep up with the demand it just keeps growing and growing and it's all from word of mouth i don't do any kind of affiliate program i believe that affiliate programs encourage people to promote inferior devices because basically they're getting paid to you know make false claims about products sometimes and or to encourage people to buy them over things that work more effectively um and i don't ever pay for endorsements but we have literally thousands of testimonials and that this actually provides these profound healing results across the full spectrum of illness and disease. So that's what I've been doing for the past, well, throughout my life. That's my story. <laughs> How many minutes did that take? Only no, about, perfect. right? No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Um, 
I was just going to ask you. There's a qu- yeah, I'm getting, getting terrible feedback. No, no, we got feedback the last one. We're getting feedback again. Yeah, I don't hear it on my end. But you're anyway. thinking it's going to record on yeah. No, it's fine. It, it goes. It goes away after. Like it's gone now. It just takes like that initial like thirty seconds or whatever. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, a question I have for you is why Italy? Like how? how the, like because when you tell your background story, it's like, and I just went to Italy. It's just like just on a whim. Like what? What resonated with you about Italy? Was it just the art that drew you there? Well, um, first of all, I'm half Italian. So my my father's side of the family was pure Italian. They came from Italy. Um, so I grew up with a lot of Italian influence, but really it was the very first time I did a trip around Europe. I went to all these different countries. I was there for seven weeks, traveled all over the place, and Italy literally felt like home to me. And not even because of the fact that I you know, had this Italian influence, because I'm half Slovak as well. But um, so it really just, I, it, it felt like my body came alive when I was there. And um, yeah, so I, I, the first time I was there, I was like, oh, I'd love to move here. And you know how we, we create this belief system in ourselves. Oh, I can't do that. Can I do that? Can I do that? And then I was all ready to go. And then something prevented me from going. And then I kind of like, it kind of got pushed to the back burner. And then I was, then I finally did another trip around Europe, got back on the plane um, to leave and got deathly ill, like the sickest I've ever been in my life. And I got back to, I was living in California, Southern California at the time. I got back to my place. I was sick in bed for 10 days, literally. And I was like, I just don't want to do this engineering thing anymore. And um, so that was, I, and I, I, I made the decision while I was deathly ill, I'm going to move to Italy. I'm going to, you know, sell everything and move to Italy. And I went back to sleep and I woke up the next day and I was all better. So, and then I bought a ticket for five weeks later and I literally did sell everything, get my cats ready to go. I don't recommend doing all of that in five weeks. I could have used a few more weeks. It was a lot, it was a lot to do, but um, yeah. And then I lived there for seven years and studied um, all these alternative healing modalities, um, had my own business there. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was like being on vacation the entire time. And now I've got it. Um, I'm part-time back there as well because um one of the areas that people don't really know about light therapy is Italy, which is ironic because, you know, after being spending so much time there and I have customers literally all around the world, some now in Italy as well, obviously, but um, it was like really low on the percentage as far as the countries that were ordering my product, other parts of Europe, France, Sweden, you know, Norway, UK, all over the UK. um, um, What are there? Germany, lots in Germany, um, pretty much all the countries and very few coming from Italy. So I'm there also spreading awareness about this. Yeah. Do you, do you speak Italian? Yes. Yeah. I didn't when I first moved there. I had to study the language for three months, but I did kind of a crash course. And, and uh, yeah, I'm very fluent. In fact, I, um, when I was there the first time, after two years, it, foreigners couldn't tell that I was not a native and then after four years italians thought i was native mother tongue italian very good very good because i completely lost my accent again if i stall a little bit it's just sort of the echo goes even though it's not there right now okay uh two two main things that i really want to get um get to in this podcast and and uh put out to the listeners is the the, the different healing modalities from the different spectrums of light Mm-hmm. and i really want to talk about getting into flow states now just as i okay. said that just, just, 
just 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 as I said that, actually, there was something else came into my head too. So uh, there might be a third topic. So the healing modalities of light, uh, flow state if we can, and also uh, bust some myths because I know you're very passionate about this. You know, people have all these sort of ideas about light and light spectrums. You're like, no, no, no. Wait, no. what? Bust some myths? What? Bust bust some myths. Oh, bust some. <laughs> Yeah. That's, your, that's your accent. Bust, bust some myths. Okay. Yeah, bust some myths. Don't okay. uh, usually usually <laughs> Americans get a great great uh, laugh when, when I say the, when I say the well, word 30, 30, right. 33. 30, 30, 30, 33. Yes. Well, I'm Canadian, so some people laugh at my Canadian accent. I've lost most of it, but I do occasionally. Yeah. Oat, oh, oat. sorry. Sorry. Boat in a boat. Uh, where, yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or for uh, I, I, friends from Canada, they all say for sure, for sure. Whereabouts yeah. in Canada are you from originally? Northern Ontario, Northern where Ontario. it's freaking cold. Yeah, not yeah. cold. Yeah. Very cold. Yeah, very cold. Which is why I don't live there. Now, before you actually answer this, so, so again, healing modalities, uh, mm-hmm. flow, flow states, and myths. First thing I just want to ask, though, before we get into that, is how do you respond to the naysayers who say, "Ah, that's a load of woo." Um, oh, I, I don't, I actually don't get those very often. I, because all I have to do is give them a little bit of science and explain, do the left brain, right brain, you know, um, the scientific research, you know, give them some real world examples of how they feel when they're, you know, how they feel when they're under sunlight, what, you know, how restorative it feels and the mythology that people have been, you know, led to believe from the media about, you know, sunlight's going to cause cancer and the scientific research that shows, no, actually avoidance of sunshine causes mm-hmm. cancer and pretty much every other disease known to man. So um, I personally don't get that. If people, and I always tell people if they want to know more and they want to get, you know, a more in-depth understanding of it, then watch my YouTube videos because I take you through, I mean, that's what started this whole thing in the first place because I take you from A to Z and explain it where it's like breaking down the electromagnetic spectrum. What is color and light, you know, explaining the science in really, really simple terms with lots of, lots of visual supports, you know, how different colors of light combine together to form white light. So when you go out under sunlight, you literally are exposed to all of those colors. Let me get a picture. Hold on one second. <laughs> I can show you um, my little handy dandy. Got some water damage on my <laughs> My little rainbow. See, um, so when people go out under sunlight, you're actually being bathed in all of these colors every time you go out. The only the reason that these you see these spectral colors split up when there's a rainbow is because there are water droplets left in the atmosphere. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet then get reflected and refracted through the water droplets, just like Newton's prism experiment, you know, dark side of the moon album. So that's the only time that you see the spectral colors split up where all of them are in the sky or at dawn and at dusk where you have a predominance of red, orange, and yellow because the sun is low on the horizon and it's low on the horizon at dusk. So it's got more atmosphere that it has to come through so that the shorter wavelength, blue and green, um, indigo, they get refracted um, and they don't come through. So at dawn and at dusk, you get a predominance of the red, orange, and yellow coming through. But then as the sun gets higher in the sky, now the blue and green start coming through. So that's where you get the blue sky. Um, So anyway, um, explaining, just explaining the simple science of it um, so that people understand, well, we evolved to live and thrive under these wavelengths in sunlight. We did not, you know, 
evolved to live in a planet that was completely dark. I mean, when the meteor meteor hit, everything on the planet died, you know, like there was nothing left. I mean, you need sunlight to live. It's a vital nutrient, just like food, water, and coffee. Um. <laughs> but isn't, isn't that really what food is? Like food basically is just packaged light if we really broke it down. It is, yeah. Yes. And that's why, you know, um, Dr. Fritz Albert Pop, the, the pioneer in the biophotonics movement, he's um, actually initiated the whole biophotonics movement, which is the fact that we as living beings take in and emit light. We actually give off light. Um, yeah, so, see, uh, see when you, th th that's why I ask us, see, when you say that to like, you know, a, definitely a, a lay person, but even, even, even to someone who is into science, but maybe they're only into biology or chemistry. So one thing I really loved what you said the last time we spoke was medicine only, and you actually mentioned this already, medicine only goes as far as chemistry and they stop. Right. So like they, yeah. they, they don't get into physics and they don't get into biophysics and they don't study uh, biophotons. So they, exactly. they're completely ignorant to this sort of science. So when right. you, when, when even you, you mentioned this to some doctors who would, would view themselves as very scientifically minded, they're like, that's a load of crap. What do you mean we admit right. like, shut up, you're all, that's a load of woo, Eastern woo, go away. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I, I'm not saying like, I, like I, from what I've oh. studied, from what I've yeah. studied so far, I fully buy into it. And because again, like when you put out like, you know, the, the science is there. And not like, like, it's like, listen, we've known about the spectrum of light since 1672, since, since mm -hmm. Newton, like, you know? Right. So uh, that, that's kind of why I, I just... Oh, this, that. Isn't, this is not speculative. Yeah, this yeah. Is, I mean, in 1972, Dr. Fritz Albert Pop proved that we emit biophotons. Um, he created a photomultiplier, but then in 2012, I believe, I'm trying to remember the year now, it was when it, sometime shortly after I started teaching about all of this. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, there's, a, there's an actual CCD camera, well, more of them now, um, that was developed at Kyoto University in Japan that actually can photograph these individual biophoton emissions. What was, the name, what was the name of that researcher? You, you mentioned him in your talk, actually. Uh, the researcher? Yeah, you, you Kobayashi, mentioned, you, I think yeah. Kobayashi Lab. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, Kobayashi Lab. But people can go on. I mean, this has been... This has been out there, and I, I think in my color consciousness and healing talk, and possibly in my bulletproof talk, I can't remember, but I show actual biophoton imagery. You in do. There. You, well, you show it in the first talk, Mister. I have that talk actually. Just before you hopped on, I was watching it. So ah. it's the it's the uh, science of color and light therapy, uh, color consciousness and healing. It's really yeah. It's in part two, I believe I go into, but that yeah. So all of that stuff in that talk that was like that was that was from my earliest major medical center talks. Um, it's 2013. And, 2013. I, I was, I was checking the no, date. This, yeah, but that was from before that. That's, that's the, when I put it on the, on the, my oh, YouTube yeah. channel, but yeah, so that was, those were from lectures that I was giving in 2000, back in 2010. Wow. Um, and so back then nobody knew about the blue light stuff, you know, you know, your smartphone giving off this predominance of blue light and tablets, tablets were brand new back then. Yeah. So what you kept hearing is like, everybody's getting these iPads. And like all of a sudden they're getting terrible insomnia and they're like, oh, it's because I'm reading my, you know, like Kindle. I'm staying up late reading. But so the first thing, well, no, the Kindles were not a problem. The Kindle. Yeah, yeah. As, sorry, Kindle as, as, as I, as I, as I said that, I was like, actually, it's not the Kindle. It was more so the phones and the iPads. Yeah, exactly. So it's the, the LED screens. Um, Kindles used a completely different technology called yeah. E. So it was like, it was black on like it, it wasn't an illuminated background yeah, yeah, so yeah. when you have an illuminated background like from a from a computer a television lcd or led um television um led screen 
um, all of these just by because of the the necessity of making the technology there's a high percentage of blue light that's emitted from them but now you know with knowledge manufacturers now all the new phones have a nighttime mode and you can actually flip the you know do negative reverse so you're getting a predominance of black with white letters on top so you can cut out a very high percentage of that blue light but again technology evolves based on knowledge and when i started teaching about the fact that you know be careful about you know your your, your these blue light emitting devices don't use them at night or use blue blockers like i talked about flux many many years ago like right after flux was first developed which is a uh, a free app that you put on your computer devices and it corresponds to the it syncs up with the clock on your computer and it changes the the light emitted from your screen based on the time of day so as it gets later in the day the blue light emissions reduce so it filters out the blue light and your screen then turns like a soft peachy pink color um, there are things you know like there are phone settings now on all the smartphones that do the same thing there are other apps for your smartphone some I still have yet to find one that has really good color rendering um, I haven't checked in the last few months but um, a lot of them tend to just kind of overlay red on top of it which turns all of your blacks into brown so um, not really true color rendering if it doesn't really matter to you but because when I was showing people my artwork on my phone I'm like ah these things look terrible you know because it, it would make all the, all the colors wonky you know like that would no longer look anything like that. it would look kind of brown muddy thing so um but yeah so all about the blue light explaining about the photoreceptors in our eyes the basic science the biological science that we have these photoreceptors that were a very new discovery in the, in the medical realm they had been discovered earlier but nobody paid any attention to it and then um started paying attention you know when somebody was doing research for nasa and discovering that okay well these blue light photoreceptors in our eyes are actually synced up with they they control our circadian rhythm. Mm. So when you see blue light, it communicates directly with the pineal gland and the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is the your clock, your brain's clock, and tells it, if you see blue light, your body is told it's the middle of the day, be wide awake, because we are, you know, we evolved to live and thrive under sunlight. So when we would see the blue sky, our body would be it's the middle of the day, you need to be wide awake. Because again, natural selection, if you're, if you fall asleep in the middle of the day, you're going to get eaten by a predator out in the field, right? So, and we're, we're not nocturnal animals. So, um, all of this, again, connecting it with evolution, but also with real world experience and, you know, telling people, it's like, you know, if you've got your white lights turned on at night, you're going to, your body thinks it's middle of the day all day long. So you're not going to get sleepy. That's why people, you know, so many people have insomnia and uh, especially when you're taking devices and holding them up very close to your face and getting a high percentage of that blue light directly into your eyes. Is so, there other is there other light getting in there too? Like, is it just blue, or is there a bit of green also getting in with the artificial light from from our from our phones and our iPads and? From oh yeah, they're all the colors are in there. They're all, oh, but they? it's just it's just it's just that LED screens the way that they make them to make them bright. The it's um. They, there's a high percentage of blue light. It's just the, yeah. the basis of the technology. But all white light bulbs in your house have blue light in them, whether they're incandescent bulbs, fluorescent bulbs, LED bulbs, um, halogen bulbs. Any white light has blue light in it because you can't make white without blue. So you need red, green, blue. So whenever you see RGB, you know, RGB screens yeah. are yeah. making white and all the colors 
by combining red, green, and blue together. And when you put those three together, it makes white light. So you need a minimum of red, green, and blue. Of course, the sun has more. It has red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. So sorry, that, that, that's my question to you. So say that like I'm looking at my laptop now, and obviously, right, we know about the blue light. Is there green and blue, or is there or so? What, what are you, so it's RBG. What was it about? So it's RGB. RGB. Red, so green, blue. Red, green, blue. Red. Yeah. Green. So is there red and green coming off my screen now as well as the blue? But is is it just that the blue is the more predominant? Well, yes, obviously, because you, you see colors on your screen. Those three colors can make all the colors. Yeah, yeah, but so, like, this is just a clearing in my head. Because everyone just talks about blue light coming off. And I know the blue light at nighttime, detrimental one. Mm-hmm. But, like, my screen, right, like, my laptop or my iPhone, if I pick it up now, or an iPad, mm-hmm. is it only those three spectrums that I'm getting? Or are all the spectrums there, but those three are the most predominant and the blue being the No, they're typically, they're typically made with red, green, and blue, but you can artificially make all the other colors. So they don't necessarily have oh, okay. those actual wavelengths being emitted. Um, some, like, full-spectrum bulbs do, if they're true full-spectrum, if they have all of the wavelengths that are represented and not just red, green, and blue to make the white and all the colors. I get you. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I get you, I get you, I get you. Yeah. So if you, if I'm, like, if I'm talking primarily about, like, if you have, if you put your computer on an all-white screen and you don't have any kind of blue-blocking filter on it, or, uh, yeah, any kind of filter or blue-blocking filter on it, that there it's a very bluish white yeah so when you put flux or other other there are other programs now that that charge yeah, you money for them I, but um i flux on right now yeah so um and i do on all my computers as well so that my light changes as you know but it's very imperceptible it's a they do a, a very good job um for the computer version mm. um and um uh what was i going to say uh, yeah, so if you were looking at white, just a white screen on your computer with flux turned off, it'll look, you won't really notice it. It's like, oh, it looks white to me. But then if you put flux on, it's still white, but it turns like a peachy pink white instead yeah, yeah. of dark blue white. And then you can notice, you can literally, I tell people when they install it, I'm like, do it at night so that you get, that you feel, you literally can feel the difference. Because when you see that stark blue white, it's like, your, your body's like, it's the middle of the day, be wide awake. Yeah. It also, the blue light also stimulates a neuropeptide in the brain that's um, um, orexin hypocritin, which stimulates alertness. And if you get too much of it, it makes you jittery. Yeah. So, um, so um, if that's where people will start to get agitated if they're working on their computer too much, you know, and a lot of it comes from that predominance of blue light or having really bright lights on, you know, where people work in offices and they've got that extremely bright Mm. light sometimes, especially, you know, and fluorescent lights, the original, you know, cool blue fluorescent lights, that very stark blue light. Um, Incandescents traditionally had a predominance of red, orange, and yellow. They were warmer, but then they started making daylight incandescent bulbs. They were able to tweak the technology, but all, all light bulbs that emit white light have blue light in them. So there's a lot of mythology and a lot of demonizing of blue light, and it's basically by people that don't really understand the science, and they're often trying to sell products that are tied in with you know demonizing blue light. There are people that try to demonize LEDs, by, you know, and really what they're, they're trying to demonize is the blue light aspect of LEDs, but it's like LEDs, you know, the earliest blue LEDs had a predominance of blue light in them because that was the technology, but it's evolved, you know, it's evolved dramatically since then. So you can now 
tweak them however you want. You can make them much more similar to sunlight. You can, and when you have colored LEDs, there's no blue light. And this is the other thing. It's like red LEDs don't have any blue in them. It, where people are like, oh, they, they're LEDs, so they have blue light in them. No, they're red. Red LEDs are one of the, the very first color that they were able to make. There's no blue in them. It's like, so kind of explaining the basic science to people that don't understand it. Um, and yeah, cause people, people don't, people don't know about this stuff. You know what I mean? They right. like, I like, like I like, and, and when you were on Kevin Cottrell's podcast, he said this too. And I've been saying it to most people too, that I think there, there is a good number of just general, like regular people who understand to a degree. Oh yeah. yeah looking at my phone and like, I hear that's not good for you. So like, cause I remember I, I got into all this back in 2010, like, you know, I got into like circadian rhythm, circadian biology, mm-hmm. learned about like the, de- the detriments of getting blue light at the wrong time. So, you know, at nighttime getting artificial light and what that can do to, to your circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. I, I remember telling people like this back in 2011, they're all like, that's a lot of crap. And now like nowadays, like those same people are like, Oh yeah, I, I heard that. Like that, that, that damage or like, you know, that, that, that looking at my screen night isn't, isn't great for me and all that. Like this, they, they wouldn't know the science, but they, mm-hmm. they're far more accepting of it now. But like still, like even people who would, consider themselves to have some knowledge with like circadian rhythms and like they're still completely ignorant when it comes to like knowledge of like light spectrums like see like like, when you when you were talking about red blue green like i i i like i really still don't know about that like you know like i like i'd say to people right there's blue light coming off my computer there but like if you were to say well is there green and red coming off too i'd be like i I don't know i just know that there's predominantly blue coming off that but, well, uh, no, if, you the, if you watch the part one of my color consciousness and healing talk, I actually show like red, green, blue, you know, circles yeah, and yeah. how the intersection point where what colors are made when you intersect those was really good light. And then in the middle where they all intersect, you see white. Yeah. So you do yeah, have that. Could, could, could you just for the listeners, because you did this actually the first time we spoke and I found it very good. Could you just talk about the light spectrum from, you know, from red all the way to blue? Is it from, so from, um, I know that there's, there's, there's infra, uh, oh, infra, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the different okay. white. So for, you know, the, the red to the blue and then the different, um, the different like wavelengths. Yes. Okay. So, that again, the colors go like the rainbow. What did they say? Roy B. Roy B. I've never, I never learned that acronym. Um, but it's red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Um, so those are that makes up the visible light spectrum. So by definition, light means to illuminate. So we as human beings can see these wavelengths of light. So when you go beyond red, now you're at infrared, which means below red, yeah. under red, infrared. You've got near infrared, mid infrared, and far infrared. So, and they're completely different thing. And I, I, I explain, you know, physicists are pragmatists. They're, they're not like, you know, chemists or geologists or, you know, other scientists who do research and they come up with these flowery fancy names or whatever. They're kind of like, we just want a name for it. And we know that it, okay, it's not red. It's next to red. It's actually under red. So we're going to call it infrared. Mm -hmm. And then they realize, Oh, well there's different divisions. They're completely different. You know how they respond in the body, but let's just call one near infrared because it's close to red and then mid infrared because it's, you know, between far infrared and (laughs) near infrared and far infrared. So, and then you get the, the wavelengths as you go in this direction, get longer and longer and longer. 
So far infrared has very long wavelengths, meaning that they're like this. And shorter wavelengths going in this direction that go like this. So blue, you know, is going towards this end. Blue, um, indigo, and violet. And then you've got ultraviolet, which means above violet. So, and then again, UVA, UVB, and UVC. They do completely different things, you know, but like UVB, everybody now knows UV, you need UVB to make vitamin D in the skin. But in fact, you, if you get UVA and UVB together, you make a lot more vitamin D in the skin instead of just isolating. So all of these wavelengths, when they work together, they have stronger effects than, than when you just isolate one or, you know, like, and combining them in the right way is also really important. So it's like, I explain like musical notes, like when you put one musical note on the keyboard, you're like, oh yeah, middle C, okay. You don't have to be a musician, you hear, I hear a note. And then if you put two musical notes together, if they harmonize well together, it sounds pleasing. But if they don't harmonize, it sounds like, ah, that sounds, stop doing that. You know, you can always tell when a musician makes a mistake. You don't have to know how to play any musical instrument. You can just hear, it's like, oh my God, like a child learning how to play the piano. <laughs> you know when they're making mistakes because it sounds discordant and it's displeasing. So when you put three notes together that form a chord that's more harmonizing, more pleasing, it has strong, you know, from a sound healing perspective, has stronger healing effects. Same thing with when you put certain wavelengths of light together, they have that um, harmonizing effect. So, and com combining some of them together can have a discordant effect as well. But anyway, um, so ultraviolet, that's the highest energy now when you're going, so what reaches the earth from the sun is infrared to ultraviolet. So, and all the visible light stuff. So if, like, for example, in the middle of the day, you're going to have 43% of the sunlight coming and hitting the earth is going to be visible light. And the rest of it is in the infrared near mid and far. And the other part is UV, UVA, B and C. So, um, so anyway, does that help explain it a little bit better? Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe just touch on like, I know you're slightly done there, but uh, the, the difference in some wavelengths. So aren't the reds, they have longer wavelengths in comparison to like blue and green. And uh, yeah. just, just, just to reiterate there, see, we have, we have uh, far infrared, mid infrared. Uh, oh, sorry. We have, what, we've got far infrared, mid infrared and near infrared. Right. And, and they, they, they're three very different things. Cause I think that's one thing you always like to stress. Like people just kind of lump it into yeah. red light. And you're like, no, 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 they're, they're just like, there's three different categories to red light. And they do very different things. Same then when it comes to UV light, you're like, there's A, B and C and they do very different mm -hmm. things as well. So right. maybe if you can just like touch on the importance of differentiating, you know, the different categories of red light and uh, UV light. And then also, um, if you can just see people at the different wavelengths and what, like what, why is red longer than blue? You kind of touched on it there a little bit, so you did, but I just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, um, to, um, hmm. why are they longer? I mean, when you go in this direction, the wavelengths do get longer. So you go from like very short. So wavelength means one complete wave, you know, up, down, up yeah. kind of. Okay. They can, they so can also they can also be a particle too. Is that too? Light can be seen as waves or particles. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the whole foundation of quantum physics. That it depends on 
who's observing and what what's yeah the double slit experiment we won't go into that because we can get off on a whole tangent about that i wouldn't but, I, um, I, I wouldn't have a fucking clue either what you'd be talking about so i'd just be like no i'd be i'd be not polite yeah, like, not in smile not in smile okay um <laughs> okay so um um yeah so the shorter the wavelength the higher the energy so that's why uv when you go in this direction uv can be damaging to the skin. So you can actually burn your skin if you get too much of it, too much of it too soon. Your body has a built-in protective mechanism called melanin that it builds up as it's exposed to UV. So these shorter wavelengths that can be damaging, your body, as soon as it starts being exposed to them, it's like, oh, I'm starting to get these damaging rays, potentially damaging. So you get a little bit of exposure and your body responds by saying, I'm gonna build up melanin. That melanin is called a tan. So you don't want to get a sunburn. So sunburn is a bad thing. It's just like, you know, I, I think, I don't remember if we used this in the last last time we talked that we had to not use that recording, but you know, like I, I tell people, you, everybody has something in their house that has killed millions of people. Do you know what that is? Uh, I think you were talking about was a, 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 a oven or a cooker or something you said last time. Yes, and I, yes. Everybody has yes, an oven and a stovetop. So um, yeah, but they have you know literally killed millions of people. Yeah. So like, but just because they've killed millions of people doesn't mean you like stop using them and you go back to burn, you know like making a fire in your backyard so you can cook your dinner. You learn how to adapt the technology. You learn how to adapt your behaviors. So you don't harm yourself. So you don't like turn on the, the burner or the gas and then stick your hand over the flame. No, you don't do that. So where people are like sunlight, it can cause cancer. If you get a sunburn, you know, it's like, yes, it can cause skin cancer if you get repeated sunburn. Yes, yeah. that is a bad thing. But that doesn't mean you stop getting sunlight altogether because you need a certain minimum daily requirement of sunlight, yeah. just like you need a certain amount of water and a certain amount of food. So, and when you go over that, it's excess. Like, you know, too much water is a bad thing. Too much food is a bad thing. Too much yeah, sunlight. Uh, is the, the analogy I use to, because I, I come from the world of strength and conditioning. So like, you know, I've been like, so my main thing is preparing athletes for their sport. And like one of the primary training principles, you know, is progressive overload. So, you know, so if you come to the gym one day and I absolutely annihilate you, that's no good because now you're, you're in bits. It's going to take you too long to recover for the next session where we just want to progressively overload you just enough so that you can come back again right. and that we exactly. can progress. Over. It's the same with a tan. Like it's the exact yes. same concept. You want to go out, exactly. get, a, get a little bit of adaptation or I come back in next day out for a little bit longer, a little bit of adaptation. Uh -huh. And as you lose it, it's, it's purely a spectrum. Yeah. It, it, everything. Mm -hmm. The difference between a medicine and a poison is the dosage. You just lose their water. I can kill you with water. It just, yeah, drink, exactly. drink 20 liters down an hour and you'll be dead. Exactly. Yeah. And I use that analogy when I talk about, because some of those, you know, you see these light therapy devices that are rebranded industrial plant grow lights and they are just blindingly bright because the people that are making them, well, they're not making them, they're buying them and rebranding them as light therapy devices. They have no clue about what the body actually needs. So they think some is good. A ton must be better. Right. So it's kind of like the analogy of you've got a potted plant in your backyard. You've got this beautiful rose bush, let's say. And you know, you want to go out and water your rose bush. You want to take care of it. So you, you don't, you go turn your water hose on. You don't turn it on just like a little light sprinkle spray because that's going to like take you forever to water your rose bush, right? That's equivalent to some of the light therapy devices that are so weak and so 
you know, like you can be there like all day. Oh my God, I'm trying to get some benefit from this thing. And mm. it's just taking forever because the output is so weak or it's such a small surface area. So what you want is you want to turn up the, the, the volume on the hose to a good volume. And so you can go and stick the hose right in the, the base of the plant and get a good watering in about 10, 15 seconds. Now, if you really want to accelerate the amount of water that you put into that plant, you can get a firing hose and you can blast it. <laughs> it's only going to take one second to give it a huge dose of water. But in the process, you're going to be killing the plant because yeah. you're going to blast off all the leaves and all the flowers, expose the roots and the poor plant's going to go, Ugh. you know, like, yeah, thanks. I got a whole bunch of water in a very short period of time. So that's what we're seeing over and over again, where people that buy these things, they're like, oh my God, I actually am getting worse using it very quickly. And they'll, even people that are in, good health they're like i just feel like crap so um yeah that's where and then a lot of people it's like and they're like oh my god the rejuvenator doesn't do this and not only that it's like it feels incredible and amazing but but um so that analogy again of you need a good dose but you don't want to ever overdo things because the body just can't keep up at that at that yeah. level and so, another thing too is that like you don't want to be getting too much of any one of the light spectrums. It's it's just like with, with nutrition, you know, if you overdose right. like a one nutrient, like, you know, like, it, like nothing is in isolation. So I think you were saying too, like, you know, you want like that proprietary blend of all the light spectrums. You know, you don't just want to be like just this, like just mega dose yourself with this one light spectrum because it's just the equivalent to of someone just taking a shit ton of one vitamin. And like, right, exactly. You, they're, yes. miss, they're missing out on the benefit of getting a whole spectrum of vitamins, you know? Exactly. And I use that analogy. I mean, I started using that analogy a long time ago. Now a lot of people have kind of like taken that. And, um, but yeah, like multivitamin versus, so multivitamin effect is going out in sunlight in the middle of the day. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. you're going to get more isolated vitamin effect if you go in the morning or at dusk. And there are benefits to getting sunlight all throughout the day. So, um, you know, and when you isolate wavelengths and you take some of those wavelengths, you can focus on doing certain types of healing depending on the wavelengths that you're using yeah. Yeah, please, please, uh, please please get into this this is where i want you to go i want you okay. to go into like the, the healing from the different wavelengths yeah so you okay so some of the like for example red red light is in the 600 so nanometers is the is the unit of measure it's you can also measure it in hertz frequency but frequency, the more yeah. common um is nanometers which is the literally the length of that wave nanometer being a very tiny you know distance um like millimeter centimeter nanometer is much smaller um so the actual wavelength of one wave so you know you've got 400 to 480 70 i'm trying to remember exactly where they get because different different systems they kind of say the blue cuts off here yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. cuts off here so it depends on where you're looking but for more or less Red is from 600 to 700 nanometers. More or less, near infrared is from 700 to 1,000 or 1,050 nanometers. And then it becomes thermal mid and far infrared. Um, so red into near infrared is known to stimulate mitochondrial function, which is mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cells. So it happens through a cascade mechanism. There's a, there's a chromophore in the cells that absorbs the wavelengths. Some, you know, some wavelengths are absorbed at a much higher rate. Some are absorbed at a lower rate. So it's kind of like this, you know, but all of those wavelengths from 700 to 1,000, 1,050, red to near infrared, stimulate mitochondrial function. 
Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Well, setting, well, Leanne, what what is the mechanism there? Do you say it's 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 cytochrome four that it mainly acts on there? No, cytochrome C oxidase. Oh, so yeah, so that's actually just between cytochrome three and four. Yeah, C oxidase. Yeah. So it's well, it's what they what they've isolated as far as but but again, this is looking at a chemistry level, right? So yes, yes. But yes. there, you know, they everybody the the Western medicine research tries to explain things in terms of chemistry. You need to look at biophotonics and biophysics to yeah. understand. What at a quantum level um but anyway so oh, you can't you can't say that keyword nowadays it's banned it's not it's not evidence-based when you say quantum to someone who's evidence-based you're like ah they go yeah, nuts. Talk, talk to quantum physicists though it's like i yeah. know, I know. <laughs> yeah. um, but the problem is because technology it's like you know like dr fritz albert pop he the only okay so this goes back to 1922 alexander gervich is the mm. first one that validated that these that we have these biophotons. He was doing research on he plants. Russian? Was he Russian? Doctor? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And he was actually um, a biologist doing research on plants. He discovered that somehow the onion plants that he was working with were communicating with each other. So he experimented with different things to separate them. Like how are they communicating with each other? And he found that when he used quartz crystal, to separate them, they could still communicate. But when he used glass, silica glass, that would block the flow of communication because the the um, the the glass would block um, some of the UV some of the UV rays. So he determined that they were communicating through, um, I believe it's UVB, which is the longer. Um, yeah, it was cutting out those. So um, anyway, so he was able to validate that they were able to communicate with each other as long as they could send light information to each other they could communicate through the light spectrum and then when that when that was blocked that flow of information was blocked they could no longer communicate with each other mm -hmm. so he would stimulate one with a you know electrical stimulation the roots would grow more quickly it would communicate with the other plant and that plant's roots would grow more quickly if he blocked the flow of communication then they couldn't talk to each other anymore Wow. Um, so okay, so so, you, so so sorry to cut in there, but you were saying so red light uh, stimulates mitochondria. So you were just about to start on the spectrum. So red light, we know has okay. A yeah. So well, this is important because there's a lot of mythology about infrared saunas out there because a lot of infrared sauna sellers are selling their saunas, propagating mythology that they are emitting near infrared when in fact infrared saunas are emitting heat, which is mid and far infrared. Some of them have a tiny, tiny percentage of near infrared, but like such an insignificant amount that it's not going to stimulate mitochondrial function because there's been so much research about red and near infrared. So again, remember the physicist thing. It's like, we just want a name for it. It's like, we're going to call it near, mid and far infrared. Doesn't, but people, it's like, well, there's red in it, infrared. It's all the same thing, you know, because it sounds the same. I like to tell the example. I went to see um, Neil deGrasse um, here in Austin uh, Neil, what's his name? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Uh, Neil, yeah. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and he was talking about, you know, when we, when we, when we discovered this giant red spot on Jupiter, what did we call it? Jupiter's giant red spot. It's like literally, it's hilarious, but that's, I mean, yeah. they're pregnant. So it's like, we don't need some flowery name. It's just call it Jupiter's giant red spot. Um, so, um, Anyway, but yes, they are very different. So red into near infrared stimulates mitochondrial function. Mid and far infrared, remember I was talking about the length of the wave. So 600 nanometers means like, you know, let's say this long of a wave. 
700 nanometers would be this long of a wave. 1,050 nanometers is gonna be this long of a wave. Now when you get past that point, now you're in mid and far infrared, thermal infrared. Um, so it creates heat. And the body, it doesn't, mid red and near infrared get absorbed by the cells, the actual body cells. Mm. So they go through, they go into, they get absorbed by the cells, which is where the cytochrome C oxidase is, which is where the mitochondria, the powerhouses of the cells, get absorbed that actual energy. Mid and far infrared do, do not get absorbed by the cells. They get absorbed by the water in the body. So if anybody, if you know how microwaves work, mm. yeah, microwaves work um, by putting this energy into the food that's in your microwave. You have to have water in the food because the microwaves go in and they agitate, they get absorbed by the water, they agitate the water molecules, and that's what creates the heat in the food. If you put a bowl of flour in the microwave, it's never going to get hot because there's no moisture in there. Yeah. So near infrared, mid and far infrared are like microwaving you from the inside out so that those energy, those wavelengths are getting absorbed by the water in the body, which is why you can create a lot of internal heat very quickly, which then the body pushes out in the form of sweat. The problem with that, though, is that some people, when they already have an excess of heat or a deficiency of cold, like your air, everybody's got an air conditioner and a heater in your body. So if you think of your air conditioner as your yin energy and your, your heater as your yang energy, when those go out of balance, it's like if your air conditioner isn't working very well, you have a, um, a buildup of heat in your body because your air, it's like, you know, you're in the middle of, you know, you don't have this problem in Ireland, but, <laughs> you know, in Texas, in the middle of summer, when it gets very hot, and if you've got a 20, 25-year-old air conditioner and it's a 100 and 110 degree day, it's having a hard time keeping up. So a lot of people, as they get older, their air conditioner ability declines. This is very common with women as they get older and they start getting, you know, hot flashes if they're going through menopause. Or men can experience it as well at any age. People can experience it at any age if you start having night sweats, you know. And um, or people that have rashes anywhere on the skin, any kind of, you know, eczema, psoriasis, dermatitis, that's a sign of excess heat in the body that's coming to the surface because it's got to come out somewhere. Um, and it will be in the form of itching, dry, scaly skin, or sometimes rashes or, you know, in inflammation. Um, so... The thing about infrared saunas is that then you're like, if your air conditioner is already having a hard time keeping up and then you go in an infrared sauna and you're putting that heat directly into the body, it's like, you know, in the middle of the day in summer in Texas and it's 110 degrees out and you've got this 25 year old air conditioner, it's already struggling to keep up. You're like, let's just open up all the windows at the same time, you know, like really. And then your air conditioner is going to go, ah, and probably conk out. So that's what happens where a lot of times you see people that are using these infrared saunas and they're getting worse because, but they don't realize it's coming from the infrared sauna because it's like, I'm getting these rashes and I think it's just detox. It's like, no, it's your body telling you you're getting too much heat in your body. You already have too much and now you're putting too much more in. Mm. So, um, and that's why a lot of times people didn't like the conventional, you know, the historically validated thousands of year old hot rock saunas, which are, you know, because they, they try to use this thing, oh, we've, we've been using saunas for thousands of years. Yes, we've been using hot rock saunas, not infrared saunas. Hot rock saunas are like your, your oven, you know, like where you, you put a turkey in your oven, it 
bakes it from the outside in. It doesn't cook it from the inside out. Like if you stick something in the microwave, it cooks the food from the inside out because it puts those rays right deep into the food. Those, that radiation goes deep into the food, agitates the water molecules, and then cooks the food from the inside out. Right? Uh, so, uh, just, uh, he's just getting terrible feedback there. Um, have you looked into any of the de detrimental impacts of electric magnetic frequency on us then as humans? Like, so, because I know, like, Jack Cruz basically talks about, like, he's like, you know, with 5G and, like, basically with all our, with all of our, um, devices that that they're basically like they're they're they are like basically cooking us from the inside out like he's like we're, we're kind of in this microwave now all the time because of all the emf everywhere have you looked into any of that and it, like is that because it sounds essentially because he always uses the analogy of like when you put a steak in a microwave what happens to it and he's like, it gets right. dehydrated to, to to like it's really dehydrated he's like well that's exactly what's happening to us when we're around chronic emf um all the time, like some people are just chronically on their devices or laptops. And he's like, that's dehydrating exactly. cells rapidly. So, yeah. Is, yeah, have you looked into any of that as well? Well, yeah, I mean, because, because okay, so we have, we have physical body immunity, we have energy body immunity, okay? So when your physical body, I'm gonna use the analogy of physical body immunity, when your physical body immunity is strong, you can go into a room full of, you know, 100 people that have a cold or flu or they're hacking and coughing. You're not going to get that cold or flu because your physical body immunity is strong. So even though you're, those pathogens are coming in, you're able to resist them and your body can fight them and overcome them so that they don't take over. They don't have that detrimental effect by making you get sick. Same thing with your energy body. When your energy body immunity is weak, you're extremely susceptible to EMF. Like, um, and EMF, there, we have these um, energies around us all the time. So even if you're in nature, I mean, you know, there are ley lines, um, electromagnetic lines that run across the surface of the earth. So yeah, this is something that modern EMF specialists Kind of have forgotten about the you know about the fact that we have these things that are natural and they go through our home and you you don't want to be laying you don't want to be sleeping on a node like a connecting point because it's you know especially if the energy is going downward it can create cancer in the body so even the energies that are found in nature can be harmful if you get too much of it you know in a concentrated form so um but when your energy body immunity is weak you are going to be susceptible to every little thing. Like, you know, like if you're talking on your cell phone and you get a headache immediately, or, you know, some people when they're EM, they're e extremely EMF sensitive, they can't even touch their phone if it's not on airplane mode. They have to like, everything has to be away from them. They can't go into environments where they, you know, like there's a lot of fluorescent lighting or warehouse. Um, are, you, are we getting feedback? No, 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 no feedback now. Just something came into my mind there as you were talking. Uh, you ever heard of that, that, uh, that, um, it's kind of like uh, an area of research, uh, ge geopathic stress, you know, so like these people who study the different <clears throat> electromagnetic frequencies uh -huh. on the planet, you know, and they'd say like, oh, there's certain areas of, of the world, like because of the, the, the natural uh, electromagnetic frequency that, that, that's, that is in that area that like that is or is not a good place to live depending on the frequency it was given and again like a lot of conventional medicine and sciences were like that's a lot of yes. work. because again, will, they, yeah. they, they didn't know the physics or whatever they're talking about now just to let you know my laptop needs to be plugged in now so this is where okay. this, this okay. is where okay. the, the shit gets a I'll little wait. bit funky you okay. well i i thought like what happens i plug it in right and it'll be fine and then everything goes kind of just i don't know what well, i'm plugging it in right now so right now it's being plugged in. or maybe it won't 
hopefully it won't. It's plugged. You'll see I'll get brighter, so because the the plug went in. Oh but yeah. What, what usually happens is you. Now start, you have a halo. <laughs> what usually starts to happen is you, you'll <laughs> you'll uh, you, I'm no angel. I'll tell you that. You'll start. You might start to freeze now. We seem to be okay. But if it just okay. happens. Um, no, listen, this is savage stuff, uh, and I'll keep going, and I want you to keep talking about like the the, the difference uh, in the healing modalities from the different light spectrums. That's what I really want you to get into. Okay. Do you want me to continue with EMF? Yeah, separate? yeah. No, you, what, sorry, yeah, f- finish up your thought there on, on EMF, and uh, then if we can keep going, then you were just talking about like you were, you were at red light then in, in terms okay. of... Okay, so energy, energy body immunity. Okay, so what another thing that Western medicine does not take into account is that we are living, as living beings, we have life force energy flowing through our bodies. They study cadavers. They don't, they don't study, you know, living... I mean, obviously, you can't cut into people other than when you're doing surgery, but they, they study dead tissue and think that they can get an understanding of what's going on in the human body. They're taking out the, out of the equation that we have this life force energy, different cultures call it different things, chi, prana, ki, um, but all of it is life force energy. And when you go out into nature, that's what you are surrounded by. You feel all of that, you know, amazing energy when you go out into nature, which is why people who are really depleted or under a lot of stress, when they want to go on vacation, they don't want to go hang out in a big city. It's like, ah, I can't deal with more like uh, chaos. I want to go lay on a beach. You know, I want to go sleep in the mountains or something like that because they're craving that life force energy, which is like, and I use the analogy of a car. If your car, you can do all of these things, you know, because people often will, I changed my diet, I got rid of all the bad stuff, I'm exercising, but I'm so tired all the time, you know, and I, I'm eating all the right foods, and I'm, you know, exercising, and I, I still can't get better, my body is still sick, and I don't understand why, I'm doing everything, you know, I'm on a ketogenic diet, or whatever, whatever diet they're choosing to follow mm. to help them get back into balance, which is an important first step, because you have to, you know, as I say, stop putting sand in your gas tank, but, so they're doing all of this stuff, and they're trying to you know, tweak the system, but they're, they're forgetting about that life force energy because when you're, you can, you know, degunk all the tubes in your, your car and put a new coat of paint on. But if you don't put gas in the gas tank, you're still not going anywhere. So they, they're addressing the physical body, but they're forgetting about the energy body and the energy body is where the root of illness and disease starts. So, um, so when you have you're running on fumes all the time and people literally feel like that. I'm just like, I wake up in the morning. I'm so tired. I drink a lot of coffee. I get through my, you know, like in the afternoon, I have a slump. I'm exhausted. By the time I get home, I'm so tired. I'm stressed out and I want to have a drink, you know, and like, so it's like, it's um, a snowball. A perpetual cycle. Exactly. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, so you need to address the energy body and recharge, bring that energy up. And a lot of times people don't, they don't take vacations. They don't go spend time in nature. So this is where, you know, like, again, the rejuvenators have the energy medicine component. They're giving you that life force energy while they have the light therapy component. So taking, if you just take wavelengths of sunlight, which are beneficial, as long as you don't have a bunch of negative stuff thrown in, because if you have a high EMF emitting light therapy device, and many of them have like really high EMF emissions, um, you're basically negating any benefit that you would be getting from that light. And the ones that are emitting really, really strong light, that's like that fire hose thing. So you need to, you know, address 
the the energy body aspect, not just the light therapy component. Because so that that's kind of like analogous to sunbathing in the middle of New York City. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you're you'll get some benefit from laying in the sun in the middle of New York City, but all of that pollution, all of the the toxic EMF that you're surrounded by, the Wi-Fi, and all of that. All of those things are constantly siphoning off your life force energy, right? So you're, you're getting some benefit from the sunlight, but you're going to get exponentially more benefit from sunlight if you go and sunbathe in nature or you go to a tropical island, you know, where there's no pollution and there's no, you know, you don't have this chaos around you. You don't have, so do you know what I mean? So yeah. the feeling of being in nature that people are like, oh, it feels so relaxing, energizing at the same time. Um, that's because you're feeling that chi, prana, life force energy that is in abundance in nature. And there's much, much less of it in cities because of that, all of those things that are siphoning it off. And I've actually taught people, you can actually see like the, the prana in the, in the sky. I mean, I've tried, I've taught people how to see that. So you can, you can see it. You can actually see it with your human eyes you let me let them go slightly out of focus and you can see these little squiggly things in the in the sky it's not floaters in your eyes you can actually see the see the energy and there's much more of it when you're out in nature same with like when you're by running water um and that sort of thing so did that finish oh okay but anyway so when your energy body immunity is is weak you are much more susceptible to those types of toxic energies that are around us especially in cities you know um you can boost your energy body immunity by going out in nature. That's the other thing that the rejuvenators do. They literally fill up your gas tank so that I've had tons of people that used to be extremely EMF sensitive. I mean, they couldn't even, you know, go into any kind of these shops or, you know, the big box stores or things because they would just be like, ah, as soon as they walk in, because they're, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, like that, you know, if you have weak physical body immunity, you can go, into a room with a thousand people and there's one person way on the other side that's hacking and coughing and you're going to get that cold because your your physical body immunity is weak so that pathogen that's coming in even if it's in a small dose will throw you out of balance because again it's like that straw the straw that broke the, broke the camel's back and that's where people with lyme disease you know they many people have the the lyme um lyme disease you know if you got blood tested you would show that you're positive for lyme but you don't have any of the symptoms. So, and I, I, when I was in, um, I, cause I just came back from Italy a few weeks ago and I was in, um, uh, Bolzano, Northern Italy in the Dolomite mountains. And I went to see this after I was doing incredible hiking, like five days in a row going hiking up the mountain, six, seven, you know, hours at a time without any fatigue at all. Um, and uh, I went on the way back down to Florence, where my place is. I was I went to this museum. There's a um, 5,000 year old man, like the oldest man that has ever been discovered. He was discovered in the ice a handful of years ago. And at first they thought, oh, he's probably you know probably died in the 1950s. It turns out because of global warming, no, he's he's been there for they for more than 5,000 years. And um, so they've done all of these tests on DNA and everything like that. And they, and this guy is like in his late forties, which at that time was very, you know, that's like an old guy, but he was in great health, you know? And, um, 
but he had a bunch of markers in his body for different kinds of disease, even though he's like healthy and he's like robust and, and they found all of his clothes and everything like that. He was like perfectly preserved. Um, and, uh, so they found he had Lyme disease. This 5,000 year old man, but it's like obviously not having, not symptomatic at all. So it's been around for a very long time. And a lot of people, it's the same thing like the herpes virus. Many, many people have that in their bodies, but they don't ever, it never comes out to the surface unless they, they're under stress or their immune system gets weak. And then the herpes virus, whether it's, you know, herpes simplex one, two, or zoster, that comes out in the form of cold sores, you know, or like shingles is herpes zoster. So and it will always happen when people are under stress because that's when your physical body immunity suddenly gets very weak because the body can only do one thing. It can either be in healing mode or it can be in fight or flight mode. And when it's in fight or flight mode, it can't be in healing mode. So um, uh, that's where it's like in that, the, the stress that reduces your immune function, then that's when the virus that's been living happily in your body and your body's been keeping it in check that's when it can go, oh, yay, party time, you know, like you're so weak now, I can kind of come and come to the surface. And then when people, you know, like if they have shingles and that they stay for months and they can't heal because it's like because that life force energy is so weak, the body doesn't have the available energy to do the healing that it needs to do. And it doesn't, then the physical body immunity gets weak. So then it can't fight these pathogens that may be perfectly happily living in your body all the time. And you're keeping them in check. It's the same thing, you know, with cancer. We have cancer forming in our bodies all the time. It's a, it's a normal part of like, you know, cellular growth, death, disease. So when abnormal cells grow, the body is supposed to fight them. If you have a good immune function, your body kills those cells before they can proliferate and turn into a tumor. When the body's immune system is weak, then the, the cancer cells can proliferate very quickly, turn into a tumor, and become life-threatening. That's why now all of the new research, you know, in the cancer realm is, well, of course, a lot of it that's being funded is focusing on trying to find drugs that do this. But it's all focused on boosting the immunity, immunity of the body to fight the cancer naturally. It's not about, it's not about killing the cancer. It's not about killing the Lyme, you know, um, pathogen. It's not about killing the herpes pathogen. It's about making the body strong so that it can fight those things naturally and keep them in check so they never get out of control. I'm just letting out a little bit of time here. Oh. I'm getting dreadful feedback right now. But then it goes. Now it's, now it's gone. Uh, listen, that's savage stuff. I still, I still want you to get into the different light spectrums now. So as in like, so what, like, okay. What's what's red light good good to good in terms so in terms of the treatment what's red light good for what's mm. blue light good for because I know you spoke about you know uh, kids with babies with jaundice they treat that with blue light oh yeah okay uh, okay and um, then like and then red and also too like red light in the winter time you know so you know like you know what what's that about because again you'd be thinking that well a lot of people um would be more deficient maybe in like you know is there blue light therapy as well for like, you know, people, you know, seasonal affective disorder, where does red light fall in there? You know, how is red light working with seasonal affective disorder? Cause you think there'd be a bit of deficiency with blue light, you know, in like those Scandinavian countries where like it's almost 24 yes. hours of darkness. So what's going on right. there too? And well, I mean, when, when it's dark, you're not getting any visible light. So, yeah. I mean, dark means no light, right? So you're not getting, um, if you're getting red, orange and yellow, it's that constant sunrise sunset. But, um, um, yeah, so you can, so what I've discovered is that you can use um, 
blue light for resetting circadian rhythm, treating seasonal affective disorder, um, treating which is a type of depression related to when you're not getting sunlight during the winter months. Um, so you can use blue light in the morning. I can't tell if you're frozen. No, you're moving. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like I, you're I, you're I looking down and not moving. I'm like, oh. No, I, I, was, I was making a note there. But just uh, like, uh, uh, just before you go on there, like, I, um, like myself and, and the listeners would, would understand like the, the role of say like blue light, you know, in terms of circadian rhythm regulation. But is there, is there specific like, so again, like given the jaundice thing there, we know that blue light for whatever reason helps that, you know, like uh, seasonal affective disorder, it seems to be something with red light. Like, is there, like, is there specific pathologies that these light spectrums seem to, like the different light spectrums seem to help? And if there is, like, yeah. you know the mechanisms. And also too, just, I wanted to touch on some of your last point there with things like cancer and all like that. Like, hopefully, like th- there'll be more research put into light therapies and these diseases, mm-hmm. but... Uh, do you know of any current research on that, on, on like light therapies with things like chronic disease, like Alzheimer's or cancers or diabetes? Oh yeah, yeah, there's, oh yeah, I've read literally tens of thousands of medical research studies. Really? Tens of thousands, tens of thousands. I'm not exaggerating. Yes. When, whenever I would make a PowerPoint for another, then I, I go and I, I would look up all the latest research. So yes, I have literally read, because when I go, I, when I'm in tens, data, t- 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 tens of thousands is a lot now. Would you, would you say you've read tens of thousands. I'm not exaggerating. Like, like you're talking five figures of papers. Like, yeah, yes, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, because I can easily, you know, read 50, 50, but I, because the way that when I process data, it's like these, usually they're very dry medical, you know, papers there and they're written in a lot of times they're written in jargon, which is way, Ah, you know, you're you're an abstract reader. That's what you do. So, well, yeah, I can, I can, I can read them and process the information very quickly in the way that, because I'm a visionary, so I connect dots. Mm. So, and I store all this information so I can be reading one study and like, oh, these guys don't know what these guys in Australia are researching because the researchers are kind of in their own little world. They often don't get out of these bubbles to know what's going on in other parts of the world. So I can easily connect dots by, by, because you can't just read one or five or 10 research studies because there, there are so many ways of doing research, and a lot of research studies have flaws within the des- very design of the study itself. So, I don't know if you want me to talk about that, but um, and no, the way that research gets think- funded is because you already have to have something that's been proven in the past. Yeah. So this is where you will see. Well, okay, we want to get funded to be able to do this research, and we we know that this wavelength has already been proven five times mm-hmm. to do this. Thing or these things in the body and we're so we're going to use that wavelength because we want to get funding we want to be able to and then maybe we can go extrapolate a little bit we can go outside of that a little bit but you won't get funding if you want to just say hey you know i want to i want to research you know violet and it's never been researched before and they're like well no you have to like you have to be we have to know that you're going to get results before we give you the money so um so you always have a starting point. But anyway, that's why it takes so long for research. And so, and they can, you know, they typically want to isolate one wavelength because there are infinite possibilities. Like, can we, we combine this wavelength with this wavelength? And now we're like, okay, well, what do we do? You compare it with this and that and this and that and this and that. All of those different iterations cost a lot of money. So it's always driven by, you know, cost. I don't have the limitations like that. So I've been able to do my own research and, also, there's 
app, apply it, see instant results, and also note, because I'm very energy sensitive and um, can very in tune with what's going on my with my body. So I can shortcut a lot of, you know, like, I know that this does this and I know how this feels because I, you know, it's the same thing when you're energy sensitive, you can get, you can be so in tune that there can be very subtle fluctuations in the energy field and you feel them if you're, if you're energy sensitive, like I am. So there are a lot of people that are that energy sensitive. A lot of people have lost that ability. They've kind of shut that off. And also because people eat very unhealthy diets, that blocks your ability to sense these energies as well. But anyway, um, I got off on a tangent. Bring me back. Where was I going? <laughs> so I'm just letting the echo clear off here. So we were going to get into uh, how different light spectrums can oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. potentially okay, treat so, different diseases. Okay. So, so let's talk about blue, for example. So blue um, for um, setting circadian rhythm, for example, the, 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 the wavelengths that the eye is sensitive are go from blue into blue, blue green. Um, so they, they respond to those wavelengths. Again, it corresponds to clear blue sky color. Um, the wavelengths that treat jaundice are actually very similar. Very um, So again, this has been isolated. It was first discovered in the 1950s that you can use blue light, shine it on a baby's skin, and it actually creates an isomer structure change in the bilirubin. The bilirubin is the chemical substance that is building up in the blood because the liver is not functioning properly and it's not transforming this substance. So it builds up in the blood. The baby turns yellow. It at high enough levels, it can be extremely dangerous and cause brain damage. So previously, before 19, the 1950s, the only thing that they could do for babies with jaundice, they didn't know how to heal it, so they had to do a blood transfusion, which is very dangerous in itself. So um, accidental discovery in the UK in the 1950s, they had a neonatal hospital, and they were they had a baby with jaundice. They sent a blood sample to the lab to be tested, and the blood the lab technician didn't get around to testing it for a while. He left it in the windowsill, and then when he went to test the blood, he said, "There's no there's no sign of this baby having jaundice because I'm looking for a certain substance in the blood, and it's not there." And they're like, "Yeah, the baby definitely has jaundice. Go look at it. It's all yellow." So that is what started this, you know, okay, well, what happened here? You know, we, I had it in the windowsill and the nurses there had been saying, you know, it's like when we take the babies out under sunlight, they get better. The jaundice heals. And the doctors, oh, it's like, you're nurses, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so as so often happens, right? So um, anyway, so what they discovered was that something something in the sunlight was changing the blood, that the bilirubin in the blood. And then with research, what they discovered was that it changes the actual isomer structure, which is the, the, the chemical formation. So it changes it from fat soluble into water soluble. So as soon as you turn something into water soluble, now the body can release it, flush it out in the bile and the urine. So the baby can basically pee and poop out the bilirubin now because it's changed. Instead of being stuck in the blood, it's like, you know, fat soluble vitamins like vitamin E you can actually take toxic doses of vitamin C, vitamin E because your body will hold on to it. But with vitamin C, you can't, like you can just take a ton of vitamin C, you might get, you know, loose stools or something, but your body's just going to like, no, it's too much. I'm just like going to release it because it's water soluble. So when the bilirubin is fat soluble, the body can't release it. When it becomes water soluble, the body can release it. Blue light specific wavelengths and there's always a range of wavelengths that do different things 
some do it more effectively than others. Remember, remember I was telling you about the mitochondrial function. Red, 600 nanometers all the way into 1,050 nanometers, near infrared, all of it stimulates mitochondrial function. Some does it at this level, some does it down here. So it's like some is like really effective at stimulating mitochondrial function, some just stimulates it a tiny amount. So that's where the difference in those wavelengths come in. Same thing with blue light for stimulating this, this isomer structure change in the bilirubin. Some do it very effectively, some do it less effectively. So blue into blue-green. And for so historically, they used to think that the blue certain wavelengths of blue were the most effective. Again, this is all because of the way that medical research gets funded. And so they test the same ones over and over and they're like, okay, we know this works. And then people invest in machinery and then they're like, oh, guess what? It's actually a longer wavelength into blue green that's more effective for doing this. But they're like, ah, oh, we already spent $50,000 on this thing, so we're not gonna get rid of it and you know, upgrade to, it's expensive to buy these things. So. Um, Anyway, it's, you know, there's, the, there's practical aspects as well. And hospitals are in the business of making money. So, um, but what people started to realize, you know, savvy parents, like, okay, if you understand, again, that we've got this, you know, we've got this blue light right in the sun. And, and blue-green, it's right there. All I have to do is go out under sunlight and stick your baby in the sun and the baby's gonna, it's going to be a weaker concentration. It's not isolated and just concentrated one wavelength. It's, you're getting the full spectrum, but within that, you're getting the blue, blue, green that's going to create this isomer change. So the baby, you can heal your body by putting it in the sun. And in Africa, because, you know, we don't have the hospitals, not everybody has access to that. So what they, what they started doing, um, somebody clever discovered that, you know, um, the, uh, what do you call it? The film that you put on car windows that blocks the infrared from coming in and the UV. So it blocks the damaging UV and it blocks the heat. Those, those, those plastic filters, you know, that are basically invisible, they let the light come through. So they started using those because it keeps the baby from getting sunburn and it keeps the baby from getting too hot, but it still gets all the blue light. So you can do a free treatment under the sun without any risk to your baby by using these filters. So um, anyway, clever use of nature. So, you know, do you want a big fat hospital bill or do you want to like stick your baby under the sun for free? You're both, they're both going to do the same thing. But that, and that's where there's, there's often mythology propagated around these things where it's like, you know, I've talked to so many medical doctors. I don't know if they're still teaching this. This was fairly recently though, within the last 10 years that were like, no, when I went to medical school, they told us that that's UV light. That's not blue light. Like UV is invisible. So it's like, you know, it's like obviously it's blue light because you can see it. So they were told that it's UV, which, you know, has the stigma of being potentially harmful. So you want to make sure you're doing this in a hospital setting. Don't treat your baby at home, you know. Uh, but then they make, started making devices like the Billy Blanket, where you can spend a lot of money on these things because they're medical devices, you know, and take your baby and treat it at home and spend a fortune or like, use your medical insurance, which will pay for you to be able to use it, but uh, who knows how many hundreds of dollars a day to take this blue light device home and treat your baby at home. Like, sunlight's free, you know? Anyway, so there's, again, a lot of mythology propagated based on people making money, you know, relying on the fact that people don't have a good understanding of these things. So that's why I've been telling people for years, like, you need to get sunlight because all of these healing wavelengths are within sunlight. So 
did I? Okay. So anyway, so we've got circadian rhythm. The, the most heavily researched wavelengths have been red and near infrared and blue. Those have gotten the most research because, again, they've been researched and they get more and more funding. So you, we are gradually seeing that they're starting to research these other wavelengths. But they're often researching the other wavelengths with applications that, that those wavelengths won't do anything for you. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you just wasted that research examining well I mean again because I have an understanding of what the different wavelengths do from an Eastern medicine and from a chakras perspective as to what actually happens in our bodies so I already know what certain wavelengths are going to do and you can watch the third part of my color consciousness and healing talk I go into I actually break down each color red orange yellow green blue indigo and violet and talk about what it does in the body and then I use everyday real world examples so for example red you know that that stimulating it's like it gives you energy it energizes you it stimulates the fight or flight response um and when you you know can be used in marketing so fast food logos are always going to be red red and yellow because the red makes you do everything more quickly it excel it makes you do things more quickly speeds up makes you make decisions more quickly, makes you order food more quickly, makes you eat your food more quickly, like makes you, you know, leave the restaurant more quickly and feel good about it. And then the yellow actually stimulates appetite. So you combine the speedy thing with the appetite thing and you go in there and you're kind of like a little bit hungry and then you're like, wait, now I'm really hungry because it actually stimulates your appetite. That, uh, that is so funny because all of the, the pricing logos in supermarkets, they're always red and yellow. The pricing, the what? So when you go into a supermarket, the, huh? the, the, the prices for all the like food, it's red and yellow. Like, you know, right. so it's, it's like a yellow tag with red writing on it. Ah, uh, really? I've never noticed that before. Yeah, well, so, in, in my yeah. local supermarket, it's just... Well, they want you to buy more food, right? But yeah, it also yeah. makes you shop faster and make a decision. Because when people have impulse purchases, you know, it, again, it stimulates that fight or flight response. So um, it makes you... You know, that's why all danger signs, warning signs are always red because it catches your eye and it's like the body goes into the slight fight or flight mode where it's like, I have to be ready to run, you know, mm -hmm. like fight or flight means, you know, either you're going to go into battle or you're going to run away. Leanne, just, just a question on that. I think this was in your interview with Dave Asprey where uh, like, uh, like, you know, so like when we see the color red, yeah, usually it's stimulating. And when we see the, when we see the actually, so when we actually see the color blue, it's calming. But then like, it's funny, whereas like the blue spectrum light is stimulating and the red spectrum is usually more calming. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Because again, that, you know, when you talk about when you see blue light, it's stimulating, it actually makes you alert. It's that orexin hypocritin in the brain that stimulates that, um, alert feeling that being wide awake which yeah. is why you know you think well blue light is what blue the color blue is calming if you see it you know it's it's not that blue makes you sleepy it's has a calming effect if you don't get too much of it again but if you get too much blue light it stimulates that alertness factor yeah. which can then make you jittery but like the rejuvenators you know we use them at night everybody we have a sleep protocol so you put these on your body at night right before you go to bed and it conks you out, stimulates really rapid melatonin production and makes you so sleepy. That you, and then you, it, people, like tons of people have tracked it with their data, you know, sleep trackers. You get much more deep sleep. You get deeper restorative sleep. So you often will actually, if you normally sleep seven hours, you may only need six and a half or six hours of sleep 
to feel wide awake, rested and refreshed. And you wake up full of energy instead of like, now I need my coffee. Um, you know what I mean? So I drink coffee because I love the flavor. Yeah. I can't, I can't drink more than one cup. Otherwise I'd be like, Ugh. I would love it if coffee existed without caffeine where it's like, it still has all the full flavor. I've yet to discover a decaf coffee that's tastes as good as a caffeine. Well, uh... I uh, I wouldn't know because I don't uh, I'm, not, I'm not a coffee snob so I don't I, I have a lot of friends who are into their coffee but I never really got into it. well I, I never drank coffee so I never got into it but uh, I know a lot of people think they're t- take their coffee very very seriously I don't know how much more time but I thought I'm still good for time but I'd love you to talk about getting into flow states if 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 that would if you'd like to talk about that and just for you to go on to it's uh it's funny I was listening to Joe Rogan there Joe Rogan had Dr Andrew Wild on there a while ago and it was a really good interview because you know Andrew's obviously into some like uh, integrative medicine. And like mm-hmm. there, was, there was things like Andrew saying, and Joe was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then there'd be like one or two things like Andrew saying, Joe would be like, "That's bollocks. That's bullshit. I'm going I don't believe that." And uh, something, uh, someone that Joe just uh, he's he's mentioned him a few times, but it seems to be someone that Joe has an issue with is D- is Deepak Chopra. And I know like you mentioned him an awful lot in your talks, and I'm like, "Oh no!" I was like, "I don't see Leanne like on the Rogan podcast, but she keeps like <laughs> she keeps quoting Deepak Chopra, and like Joe Rogan just can't stand Deepak Chopra. He's like. He's like quantum this and light this. This is what I'm saying about when people hear it, it's like quantum and light, and he's all like, you know, everything's just energy and like and like and Ro and Joe's into a lot of that, but he's like he just thinks deep deep our chocolate goes down too much, but he's like, it's just too much, it's just too much. But, yeah, uh, I do I, I quoted him a lot in my color consciousness and healing talk because I was specifically talking about consciousness raising yeah, aspects yeah, yeah. color and light. Um which when you get into the biohacking realm and some other realms are, they're more like in the physical body stuff. So that's another I, word. That's another word you can't use around the evidence people quantum and biohack. When it, once they hear that they switch off. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, listen, it's a balance. It's a spectrum. Yeah. It's like baby, it's bat water. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why can't we take the best from both worlds here? But uh, well, just, yeah. just, just, see it, just, see it all too. I was, I was, I was, I was only pulling your leg when I was saying you'd read 10,000 studies. I was just like, like, I know that I've known that you read a lot of studies, but like, you always get people going, I've read thousands upon thousands. Like, you probably read like yeah. hundreds or even thousands, but like tens and tens of thousands. Yes. No, is there, I can. Is, 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 there actually, is, is there actually genuinely tens of thousands of, of research on yes. life? Oh, God, yes. Yes. I probably have, I don't know how many tens of thousands saved in my Evernote. Um, send them to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, no, they're saved as like individual, like, you know how you, I, you know, you save an Evernote, you save, you can save a link. My cat's going to hit my camera. Sorry. That. I'm a, um, I'm a, I'm a Microsoft guy, so I don't understand any of that Evernote or Apple stuff. I never got into that. Oh no, it's not an Apple thing. It's a, it's an application so you can save files and um, pages, web pages. Can you get like, that? Can you get that on Microsoft as well? Evernote? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a PC person. I'm not a, I'm uh, not a Mac. Actually, person. no, no, I, I don't know. That, that shows you my, my ignorance when it comes to technology. But, uh, but no, honestly though, if you do have like, like I, I want you, I'd love you to do that. So like these, I think are the best studies for something like maybe someone who's getting into this, read these, these will help. Like I definitely would love to get those off you. They're actually, yeah, I can't, people are like, what are the f- top five, 10 studies? But again, I'm like, this is where I'm telling you, you can't just read five or 10. I know, I know, I know. Every, every study gives you a little piece of the, you know, like if yeah, you look yeah. at this yeah. whole picture, every little study is going to give you like a dot. A dot. Right, yeah. Each, 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 each research is like kind of in their, in their little bucket. So you need to like, exactly. you need to connect yeah. them all so together. You, have to, you literally have to read that many to be able to connect the dots and to be able to create a whole picture. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, <laughs> you start putting pieces and you're like, ah, oh, what is this a picture of? And then the more, 
pieces that you put into the puzzle, the clearer the whole picture becomes. And so, like, and I, I, know, I know I just literally asked you this, and I'm not actually, I'm being genuinely serious right now, as I said. Is there, like, is there tens of thousands of studies on light? Oh, yeah, yes. If you go, and I, if you go on to um, NCBI or PubMed, well, I'm, sorry, I'm, on, I'm on Google Scholar. I was on Google Scholar here, but I'll try. Yeah, to but don't 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 read bloggers or like Huffington. No, Google no, Google, Google Scholar is not. Google Scholar is more powerful than PubMed, in my thing. Google what? Google Scholar. It's it's a it's a search oh. engine. Yeah, it's 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 even better than PubMed. Like I, I can get papers on Google Scholar that I can't even get up in PubMed. That's scratching up. Um, well, yeah, but this is where they're actually they're published and they're put on there, and they're so you can access this whole database from there. You can't always get. The whole study you can get the oh yes oh yes you can you, you obviously haven't heard of uh sci-hope have you not you can get like almost every article on that well no i i actually have something even better well maybe not even better but i have a friend that's a medical doctor so i'd be like hey can you get me this whole study and within like half an hour he shoots me back the whole study yeah, I, so, I same. Um, same. what is it what's it called uh sci-hope so uh, S-I or S-C-I? I'll just type it in here because I'm always on it. Yeah, S-C-I slash hub. But the thing is that... they're Sci-Hub. hub sorry. Sorry. What was I say? Yeah, Sci-Hub. I'm always using it, so I am. I'll look that up. Oh, yeah, look. I just typed in... What did I type in there? I typed in blue light and 26,922. Yeah, well, you did say tens of thousands. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then type in red and then is, type in is, is there any researchers that I'd like you should check out their work? They're they're the ones you should go. Are there well, no, again, you've got there are some that are better than others, but again, you do literally have to read. Connect all of that. Yeah, because again, this and this is where I see this happen very often where people will cite one medical research study and then they'll quote something from the the um um, what are the conclusions section and this I know from medical doctor friends very good friends who do research publish research you know we're doing our own research but the conclusion section you basically you have to come up with some conclusions as to why you got the results that you did and you literally have to make stuff up if you have no clue so that making stuff because I read some of these things and I'm like oh my god like because I understand when they get certain results and why they get certain results because of the Eastern medicine and the, you know, the way that these wavelengths respond in our body, they, they interact with different organ systems and different emotions and different meridians. So those energy lines that trans transmit that life force energy through your body, their color correspondences to them. They respond to different frequencies of light. So, I, love, um, I, I love, I love how you go from hardcore science into the Eastern. Yeah. You're just like, you're just like, yeah, you know, these, and then they go into the spirit body. I, like that's where right. like people are going to go, Oh, she, she I, I, now she's gone into the woo. You like step yeah. back in and out. I love the way you just do that. What, what, but it's what, not, but, so what? that's why in my color consciousness and healing talk, I, I integrate the woo with the science. And I you know, can see that the science is validating the woo. But science hasn't caught up yet because it's still focused very much on the red, near infrared, and blue. That's where most of the research has happened. So yeah. there, there's still all these other colors and wavelengths that need to be researched from a scientific aspect. But that's where I connect the dots for you. I'm like, see, here, the woo says this. You know, thousands of years of woo, you know, and science says this. Science is saying validating the woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got lots and lots more science that needs to be, you know, catch up. Just, uh, plus it's, the technology. It's, 
it's so funny too. Like you know the way they call the alternative medicine world like the woo and conventional medicine. Conventional. It's like it's so funny because like because conventional medicine is like a much younger science. Well, it's a much sorry. I should say sorry. I take that back. It's a much younger field than right. than traditional medicine. So like, like, Chinese, a blip. like yeah. Chinese Chinese medicine been around thousands of years. Ayurveda went thousands of years. Yes. And then like it's like the, the more the, the more the time goes on. It's like, you know, like conventional, it's like conventional medical research. It starts to support some of these things from like these alternative medicines. But what like really, yeah. re- really what, what we call alternative really should be called conventional and conventional should be called like alternative because it's, it's, it's a much younger field. So it is. But it's just, exactly. Yes. It's funny, so it is. Yeah, yeah. It's similar to, you know, what's called traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine is not the original Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine is what came in after the cultural revolution and the communists came in and they basically banned all of the original Chinese medicine. And they said, we're only doing Western medicine. You have to go to hospitals. You have to get treated with, you know, science now. And they literally made it illegal for people to be practicing Chinese medicine. But then they started to see very quickly that all these farmers in these outlying areas, they don't have a city. They don't, they can't get into a hospital to be treated. And they basically got rid of all the village you know, physicians yeah. by banning and making illegal Chinese medicine. So then they're like, okay, you can bring it back, but we're just going to do acupuncture and herbs and really like heavy emphasis on the herbs because this is like giving you a pill in Western medicine. And that's what the, most of the Chinese medicine schools teach traditional Chinese medicine, which is why I ended up going to British Columbia to finish my training up there and get much more of a five elements focus because yeah. of the, it's, it was, it eliminates all the stuff about the psycho-emotional aspects of, you know, illness oh, wow. and the psyche, the connections. Like don't talk to your patients about, they, they literally were telling me this. Don't talk to your patients about what they're going through or stress or things like that. Or, you know, when this is a recurring thing, cause you can get so many clues and actually, you know, people can have full healing without you ever touching them just by bringing to the light, you know, what the common connection is, you know, Oh, I had this flare up. I've got this terrible gastritis, you know, it's like, I can't uh, digest food. Okay. When did this happen before? It happened three years ago. You know, like that's when it started. What was going on in your life then? Oh, I had this terrible, you know. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. And it's like, I went through that. And then, okay, now what's going on now? Oh, yeah, I'm going through this thing. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, this is just like what I was going through at that time. So you, you start to see these patterns. And it's like something that gets stuck in your energy body and trauma, like literally, you know, and, you know, we know about that you can tap on different acupuncture points and release stuck trauma. Have you ever considered writing a book, like your own book, so that you can kind of br- bring, you can bring all the research that, that you have researched over the years together in like, and have it in that like sort of one, you know, one area where people can go to like that one resource. Cause obviously you're saying people who go, well, give me a resource. You're like, well, you know, there is no one resource. I had to, I had to connect the dots between all of these different, you know, uh, articles and research papers that I read. Like, so do you, are you considering like kind of putting your own sort of encyclopedia together so that you do have this one-stop shop for everyone? Well, the, the, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to be writing a book. I'm working on that, but it's not going to be a compilation of research about like therapy because anybody can go and you can find that. It's like, cause I've already, I've been teaching about this so long. It's validated now. I mean, the masses it's hit mainstream. So that's, that, that doesn't interest me. What I'm more interested now is validating, you know, energy medicine with science and making that because that's the next thing where people still, you know, it's, it, when I started teaching about light therapy, it was considered far woo. I'm not talking like a little woo. It was considered far woo. It's still considered, um, it's still considered woo. Well, in some, yeah, in some, but when you understand the science, 
But yeah, you can't you can't possibly because there are some people that are always going to be it's, ignorant. It's just, and, it's just the know, way. It's like, it's just the way it's worded. And by the way, just, just so we're very clear on this, like I, I'm uh, 100% on board with everything you said here tonight. Like I, I like as I said to you, like uh, again, everything lives on the spectrum. And when you, whenever, whenever you meet someone who's at either ends of those, uh, whenever you meet anyone who's at the extreme ends of, of right. the spectrum, you need to always be very careful. Like it needs to be, again, we don't try to baby out the batwater. We want to integrate everything right. that we currently know. Yeah. But um but uh, it still would be great, though. Like if, if you know, if you could definitely you know put that together. But uh, I was going to say something else there with the light. What was I going to say there? Something to do with the light, the light, the light. I was saying still considered woo. Why? Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. No, I, I, remember, I remember. I remember. I remember. Let me let me finish. Let me finish right that. Because uh, I'll know if I don't finish it. No, the, and the re- the reason why it's still considered woo is is the way people were things. So like when you hear someone go. Well, food is just packaged light, or we am sure we emit light. We're light emitting beans, and when we hear that, they're like, "What the fuck are you smoking?" Yeah, but there's imagery to show that. So oh, that's, I know, I know, that. I know. Like again, I, 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 I listen. I've read this stuff. I've watched your lectures as well. Mm. I, I, like, I've heard. Like, I, I remember, like, seven eight years ago, I was reading Lynn McTaggart's books, and she was talking about like, the fields and like, right? Uh, what's the other book she has? She's the fields, and she has the, the bond. The bond. No, the bond and the field. Oh, the bond. Similar. Well, also the intention experiment is. A, I didn't, is a more I didn't read that, but like, so I, I. I, I like, and I remember I read Bruce Bruce Lipton's book was one of like was one of the most earliest books to buy. Yeah. Like that book, profound, had a huge influence on me and on the time. Yeah, it just just exactly. on where I was in my life. He explains the biology and DNA and the the fact that is influenced by yeah nurture but it's, you know? it's just it's, it's the way it's the way they say their message then like and then see when and usually too you know yourself most hardcore scientists are atheists and they're usually very pessimistic so when you start talking about love and fucking all like this they're automatically they just switch <laughs> off because usually they're fucking dickheads who had a shit upbringing like you know what i mean they're just they're just narky fuckers who see everything as like, well but but see the the thing is yes the majority of them are but again if you read like the field for example or the intention ex- experiment by lynn mctaggart she's a journalist she does an amazing job of bringing in you know the stories of these scientists that were like hardcore scientists yeah, yeah, yeah. researchers and then they have this experience you know this accidental discovery that because they're open-minded and curious and they allow for space to you know okay, I, maybe I don't know everything. I think I know everything, but obviously I don't because I yeah. cannot explain this phenomena. And that's, those are the pioneers. Those are the ones yeah. that go outside. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Lipton also, you know, described himself as hardcore, you know, heavily ingrained science. It's like, he basically got rid of anything that sounded yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, and then he's like, you know what? I can't ignore these results that I'm seeing. I cannot ignore this data. I can sure like, his whole thing was that he, he used to teach genetic determinism and then like he was like, uh, when I fucking take a petri dish of identical DNA, so he's like, I have three petri dishes, identical DNA, put them in three different environments, three different genetic expressions. So he was all like, it's, it's, it's all about epigenetics, it's not about genetic right. determinism. Exactly, yeah. So when you understand that, when people understand that they themselves are in control of their DNA and their mm-hmm. illness, you're no longer a victim because this is where, you know, people often get attached to their, their illness and their yeah. victim yeah, yeah. status like oh, I can't do anything about it, and what was me? And like, and it's, a lot it's of a self, it's, it's a self, it's a self identity that they they've self identified themselves with a particular disease, and then if you take that away from them, then it, it it takes away a massive element of certainty in their lives. This is another thing too. Like I speak about this, like I've like people who are listening are going to roll their eyes because I talk about this all the time in my podcast about this uh, need for humans to have certainty in their lives, and and when like they need to have certainty as a coping mechanism. Do you know what I mean? Because uh-huh. 
because if, if when an element of uncertainty gets internalized, it's very stressful. You know, it starts activating the fucking uh, the amygdala and all that. So, like, and this is this, and this is the thing about quantum because what happened was we had we didn't we couldn't understand the world or the universe. So we were like, right, it was invented by gods, right? And then Newton came along and said, actually, no, it, it works like maths. It's a basic machine. It's easy to tone in physics. And then for a few hundred years, they were like, oh, we know exactly how it works. And then along came fucking Einstein and relativity and quantum then and quantum yeah. mechanics came in and all that. And I know Einstein wasn't behind quantum, but that was around the same time. No, he called but, it but, but, then, but then like with quantum physics, it was like, oh shit, now we're back to uncertainty again because this, this, right. this, this comes back to like probability. Like we're not certain. So we went from uncertainty to certainty for a while, back to uncertainty. And it's just like, you know what I mean? It's like if, if people could just be like, "Listen, we actually just don't know." Okay, we we can we can be we can be like you know yourself with research like the p values of zero point zero five or zero point zero. We can be like ninety five to ninety nine percent certain, but we we can still never say with one hundred percent certainty that this is fact. And just to, some people just have a huge issue with that. They just want black and white certainty. So like, and I, let's just go back to all this. That logic, being stuck in that left brain where yeah. you're limiting yourself to such a degree from experiencing life for the first, you know, in the first place, but um, also from having these, from being able to tune in and being able to know and feel and like, you know, people that are able to tap into flow state on a regular basis, you can download data. I mean, you get misinformation. It's like tapping into this, you know, huge reservoir, like if the web, you know, yeah. it's like the internet of mental thought energy and everything is interconnected and you can it's like that i use the the analogy of the you know the birth of adam finger to god you know that painting looks like you're dancing looks like you're doing uh, uh the Bee Gees. yeah <laughs> great song but before but before uh but before you get into flow state right I, I do want you to finish up on oh, that yeah, we started talking about that an hour ago okay. yeah before you get into that uh it's um if i find this clip i'll send it to you because i'm fascinated with creativity too i actually sent it to one of your emails i think it's amazing like that's why like like creativity is just so huge to fulfillment as a human like so every human being wants the same thing all we want is to find our own heaven on earth we want to find ultimate happiness but how each of us goes about that is where we individualize you know so for a chef you know it's, it's about becoming a master chef and making you know master dishes and sharing that with the world you know and then if it's an artist it's about you know art and if it's a poet it's about poetry and if it's you know someone who or likes right time while it's that thing yeah exactly and that's another thing too the, the fact that we're dynamic organisms mean, means our core values and priorities change over time so what fulfills us moment to moment will will always change as well but what i wanted to talk to you about with creativity was uh so there's, there's a gentleman who's whose writings had a profound impact on me his name's joseph shilton pearson he writes a lot about like uh human behavior and like um child development and spirituality and like creativity he talks about the creator creative dynamic and stuff like that and how we tap into this this unlimited unpotential uh, unlimited um unconditional universal energy and it's always there like so his, his basic thing is like anything that ever has been or will be is already out there in the universe it just looks for the it just looks for the the, the muse to bring it into creation and so when i was reading shilton pierce's work there was this great interview with Jack White, the musicianist, and I'm I'm like I'm, I love Jack White, like he's one of my favorite musicians, uh, musicianists. And um, the guy interviewing Jack says to him, "So tell me about your songwriting process." And then Jack says to him, "I don't write my songs." And then the interview got really confused. He goes, what? "Like you mean someone else writes them?" And then Jack goes, "No, no, that's not me." He says, "I I do write my songs, okay." Right. But what what he what what Jack's trying to tell the interviewer was. 
anything I've ever written or ever will write in the future is already out there in the universe. And he's yeah. like, I, I'm just the muse that brings, that brings that potential energy and filters it out into the world as a song. And then yeah. my gifts to the world and, and to everyone in the world is to share that song. And this is the beautiful part that he goes, and each person then can take that song and interpretate that song whatever way they want. It mean, it'll mean different yeah. things to different people. But he's like, yeah. that song was already out there. I was just happened to be the muse that brought it into creation. And I was just like, holy fuck. Now, like, this is where I get all like the, the, you know, the, the fucking hard no sign. Oh, look at these people talking about all this woo again. It's just like, yes. Have a bit of right brainness to you, for God's sake. You need some balance in your life, all those hardcore people. No, but I mean, like for me as a beginner painter, I'm like, I'm getting into flow state and I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I know what I have to do when I'm in flow state. Like I never, I would look at my paintings the same way that somebody coming to an exhibition of mine would look at them. Cause I'm like, holy cow, how the heck did I do that? You know, like I would never be able to do that again, consciously trying to replicate that because I didn't create it. So when I was getting, like, people would, you know, like, especially in my first year, my, literally my first three years as a professional artist, and I'm getting people that are looking at my paintings and they're, like, you know, profusely, you know, complimenting me and, like, people crying, looking at them and having all of these emotional responses. And I always named my paintings with a nondescriptive name. It had, like, words, but it would never define any kind of potential imagery in the painting. So because I never wanted to overlay my view or what I may be able to see in the painting onto somebody else. And I was never trying to create imagery. It's just their pure abstraction. So I would always name them with some non-denominational name where it's like, it's, it's descriptive and relevant to me what the titles were, but it's not going to mean anything to other people other than, Oh, that's kind of a cool sounding thing, but it doesn't give you any kind of, impression like now I'm supposed to see this in the painting like I would always hate that when I would look at an abstract artist painting and I'd be like oh this is really cool and I like the way the energy moves around and the colors and then I would see the title and be like moon over the mountain in France or something and I'm like oh okay now yeah I see the moon over the mountain and now that's all I can see you just imposed your restrictions onto me and I always hated that so I always name my paintings in a way that would be, it's completely open to the viewer to interpret them however they want and to have their own experience. So mine are like a Rorschach inkblot test where people literally, I could have 10 different people that would view one of my paintings. They would see 10 completely different images or scenes or whatever. Um, but that's the psyche. And I do talk about this in part two of the color consciousness and healing talk about how you can use, you know, when you're, when it's a, like a, um, a piece of art that connects the viewer with the eye, the internal, their, their core self, the, the, you know, um, Christopher Alexander, philosopher and architect calls it the eye. Um, so basically that connection that when people have this profound sense of feeling from, you know, looking at a piece of, you know, art or hearing a piece of music, that connection that they feel that's, them connecting inwards and also connecting with the collective unconscious, whatever you call it. Um, Carl Jung called it the collective unconscious. He called it individuation, you know, finding, discovering what your purpose is in this lifetime. Why are you here? Because every single one of us has a purpose. We're here for a reason. We're not just meant to be, you know, a cog in the wheel. Each one of us has individual gifts and we're here. And, and when the disease takes over the body it's usually because people are so far out of alignment with what their path and purpose is they've lost their way 
And when you come back to that, and a lot of times people, it takes a life-threatening illness for them to say, you know what, this whole thing, this belief system, this job that I've been doing that's been killing me and thinking that I need to have the big house and the cars and all these toys and stuff like that, that just feel empty to me. They give all of that up and then they have, they, you know, they rediscover why they're here and then they go on that path and then they, you know, completely heal their body and then go on to do amazing things. So, but sometimes it's like, that's the wake up call that they need. So physical illness and disease is, is always to be viewed as a gift and an opportunity for learning and growth. And when people view it more as like, Oh, I'm a victim. And you know, it's like, uh, and I'm identifying with my illness and disease. And now I'm labeling myself and I'm introducing myself as that, you know, disease there's a very strong attachment to that. And people will often get a lot more attention than they used to when, because they have that illness or disease. So they were very often at an unconscious level, not even willing to let go of it because now I identify with it and, Oh, look, I get all this attention. We'll sympathize, you know? And, um, but it's like, it's, it's having the understanding that it's like, have you you studied with Paul check? Who? Have you studied with Paul check? Cause that's exactly what Paul check talks about. No, I, who is Paul Check? Paul Check. Paul Check. Is that that's two words? P A U L. Yeah, Paul. That's his name. That's the name, Paul Check. No, I've never heard of him. Check. You C-H-E-K. never heard of Paul Check? C H E K. Paul Check. Like he's he's like he, he's he's extremely well known. But I suppose he's, he was originally well known within the the fitness industry. But like he's he's kind of well known within holistic health. But uh, no, he he speaks about that all the time. And that like people with an yeah. illness. Well, again, these are not these aren't my concepts. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, no. It's just it's just the way the way you even worded that sounded exactly like the way Paul would word it. That's what I'm saying. No, no. This is just this is from a lifetime of learning on you know myself. Which and it, ha- from, it happened to you too, didn't it? You know, earlier at the very start of our conversation, you were saying you got sick and you made your, yeah. your decision to go to Italy. Yes, like, I, yes, very sick. Yeah, um, and was sick for a long time. The whole time that I and also early in life. I mean, I had a very stressful, traumatic childhood. So, um, you know, growing up in a family that was very turbulent. um, So, but I was very fortunate because I was very close with my Slovakian grandmother who also had a very turbulent, traumatic childhood. And um, so I learned a lot from her because she with, you know, the, the going through that trauma, you, you come through it, you become a much stronger person. And you also realize these are opportunities for, you know, learning growth and to make you the person that you are today. Had I not had those experiences as a yeah. child, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah, I wouldn't you're, be you're speaking. You're, you're speaking my language. Like I, I speak about this all the time on the podcast. You know what I mean? So you can, yeah. you can choose to see, you can choose to see those uh, adversities as obstacles or opportunities to grow as a person. Exactly. You can, every single moment of your life can be viewed as, you know, a problem or as an opportunity. So literally you get that choice in every single moment of the day. And that's how you can literally create your own reality, whatever reality. And I'm not talking about the sequels like, Oh, you know, get abundant wealth, which you can, if you're following your path and purpose and you are focused on helping others. And this is what I tell people all the time. If you want to overcome your illness, focus on helping other people. Don't be, you know, mired in your own, like, Oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. Get out of your like restricted view start focusing on helping other people that forward moving energy creates flow so that, you know, then you're helping others. You're putting that positive healing energy out into the world. It comes back to you and it flows through you. So, um, 
When people it's like so- uh, it's it's like Victor Frankl says. Um, I'm sorry to cut in. It's just because I, I know when I like the, the the mic seems to hold for a while. And then if I if I go like long, the echo just gets really bad. But it sounds grand. I, I, I don't hear it on this. Thing, you don't so. hear it, but it it only happens sometimes. Like let's say if 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 I don't if I don't speak for like five minutes and then I I say something, it just gets a brutal echo. But then like it seems it seems like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's yeah. I wonder. But it's, uh, it's like Victor Frankl, you know, in in Man's Search for Meaning, where he, you know he speaks about. You know, between stimulus and response is 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 he says man, but you man, you know, man and woman. It's it's our ability as human to choose our response to to the stimulus exactly. that separates yes. us from other animals. You know, and as you said, and that helps us to create the reality that that we want, or we we you know, we, we can create our reality by how we perceive certain situations. You know, so again, exactly. seeing ad- seeing adversity, yeah, seeing yeah. adversity either as a as a problem. Or uh, an opportunity, or an obstacle, or an opportunity. That's why I love that book, Obstacles the Way, you know, by Ryan Holiday. So he kind of, I mean, the whole premise of that book is to see everything in life as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. So you could, oh, this exactly. is a terrible situation. It's like, no, this situation is great. Think about how much you're going to learn and grow as a person from this. Yeah, it's reframing. I mean, literally reframing. You know, you take it, you you look at it from this perspective, or you can look at it from this perspective over here. You know, so look at it from a different angle. And you know the the the, the that saying um, make lemon lemonade out of lemons. Mm. You think you have a bad opportunity. It's like you know I've got lemons, something that feels sour to me right now. But guess what? You can turn it into lemonade and turn it into a positive experience. But it's funny you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson earlier on because he was on a podcast called London Real. And boy, we, we, we will wrap up now and, and I'll let you, let you do your little rant on um, little uh, on flow because I, I do want to hear your thoughts on how you can get into those flow states. But just wrapping up on this piece about like how adversity helps us to grow as a person, which is like, again, you're speaking my language. I love talking about this stuff. But DeGrasse Tyson was on this podcast with uh, Brian Rose. It's a very well-known podcast, London Real. It's kind of like a Joe, Joe Rogan-ish one. Um, but he, he has this standard question. Brian Ross has a standard question he asks a lot of his guests. And if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Grass Tyson, what would you tell him? And the Grass Tyson's like, nothing. I wouldn't tell him a thing. And I, it's, it's funny. I, I get that. Phone call to who? To yourself? To your 20-year-old self. Oh, what your 20-year-old self. And right. He, yeah. And, and yeah. what would you tell him? The Grass Tyson's like, I'll tell him nothing. And like, it's, it's kind of similar to the question of like, you know, um, if you, if, you know, what regrets would you like to take back? You know, like, or and people have said that to me as well. I've been asked that question. I'm like, nothing. And, and my, my answer, my answer is always because everything that's happened to my life up until this moment has made me be the person I am right now in this very moment in time. It, you know, it's all led to, it's all, it's all led to the character building that, that, that I needed to go through to be the person I am right now. But the grass Tyson gave this great analogy. He says, he was like, think about the immigrants that came from Europe to America, you know, came in and they had nothing just to close in their back. And, you know, they were looked down on the Irish, the Italians, the Jews. And he's like, and a lot of these, a lot of these people then would end up building these great businesses, whatever it was in, you know, like the Irish at the bar trade and maybe the Jews went into like clothing industry or something like that. But they built a really wealthy business. And then he says, what did they do? They were like, I want to give my kids the opportunities I didn't have growing up. So they give their kids everything. They spoil them. They basically enable their kids. And then their kids end up being absolute little assholes, ungrateful, like little shits. And then the parents are like, where did we go wrong? And the grass Tyson goes, do you not see the beauty that you had? You went through adversity that, that helped you grow as a person and built that character. And then you just ended up handing all that hard work to your kids. Oh, look, you don't need to work for it. We did it for you. And he's like, they didn't get you a chance to go to any adversity or character building. So it was just a great way of putting that. Like, you know, so when people say, what regrets did you take back? You were like, nothing. Why would I want to take that back? That, that, I was meant to go through that shit. 
I have a very good analogy for that. That's you know something that happens in nature. Um, people may or may not know this, but when a butterfly is you know going from the the cocoon and becoming a butterfly, like leaving the cocoon because you go from a caterpillar goes in the the pupal stage and turns into the the um, chrysalis, and then the the butterfly emerges. And when the butterfly is coming out of its cocoon, it has to go against that, push against that resistance of the cocoon. If you help the butterfly by breaking open the cocoon for it, it's permanently crippled and will die because it didn't go through. It has to have that where the, the strength in the wings that then form and then it can open up and it's got its butterfly wings. But if you help it, the butterfly will die. It's crippled, it's deformed, and it will die. That's amazing. It, it, yeah. kind of, it, it also reminds you, you ever know when you watch any of those nature programs and it's just like, and the mother kicks the bird out of the nest. Right, fuck off. Now it's time to go. <laughs> it's like, okay, go fly. Yeah, yeah. They, they just like push them off the ledge. It's just like, and then the bird, ah, they just have to learn like in mid-flight. It's so funny. Well, and that's the thing about, you know, humans so often, you know, coddle their children. It's like, oh, you can stay at home and I'll keep paying your bills. And, you know, you don't have to do anything and you don't have any chores. And it's like, no, you got to yeah. push the baby bird out of the nest. Otherwise, they're never going to thrive. Like there's a, the, the, yeah, exactly. There's a really good clip to like with Tony Robbins, you know, and I, I know how some people feel about Tony. Some people think he's, he's way woo and other people love him. I, I think he's, he's yeah. I really like him. I, I love his work. Him. I think he's very helpful. And, uh, yeah, listen, I think he's a savage, savage working the world. Listen, the man's feeding tons of people with the work he does. I, I really like him, you know. And what I love about him too is he's a, he's a giant and he has, just has this like such a, big heart you know what I mean? but like it's kind of like with tony robbins too in terms of you you mentioned the word reframing so like tony robbins would speak to these people and people are like you know I, I grew up in a home when i was bet you know i was beaten up and i was raped and you know like things that things to, to most would sound absolutely awful for me, i'm sorry for me yeah right? and, and actually and, uh, sorry I, I said things that sound to most of us is awful like it, it is awful but again it depends right. on how you, how you frame this but tony would would flip it and say god that's a great gift you got isn't it and then people would be like, what the fuck? And then, of course, he go through the whole spiel and how, how that builds, yeah, builds your character. And look, you've come through it and you come through adversity and like, see that as an opportunity to grow as a person. And like, you, you know, you can now help other individuals in that situation. So seeing the beauty that can come from this. But then on the other end of the, on the other end of that, I love this. He'd speak to like, he spoke to this girl. It's actually in this documentary, I'm Not Your Girl, where the girl gets up and, you know, he goes to her, tell me about your father. And she's like, oh, my dad greatest man alive and Antonio's like gave you everything you needed everything you wanted and she's like yeah yeah treat you like a princess she's like yeah my dad treat me like a princess couldn't ask for a better father and he goes what a fucking asshole and then everyone in the audience and she was like sorry he's like do you not realize he destroyed you like the worst yeah. thing ever so like he flipped the whole thing on his head like you know one moment he's speaking to someone who got like abused as a kid and say you were given a gift but then on the other end like people were thinking oh this girl had the optimal upbringing and it's like She's definitely upbringing, but yeah, she's here because she's depressed and hates life. And the reason is because like, right. she got enabled by her father and she never had to go through any adversity or any character building. Like, so she doesn't know who she is in this world or nothing like that, you know? So it, again, it just purely goes back to like how you reframe this stuff, you know? So I just always found that very, very good. But anyway, you can add whatever you want to that, but make sure you get into flow states. How can you facilitate flow states? Because I'm fascinated with this. Okay, but yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And um, Byron Katie also, um, she, for Brilliant. people that... But yeah, a book, you know, like loving what is and I need your love is that true. Those are really good for teaching you some really simple tools to learn how to reframe any situation. I mean, the worst possible thing and to be able to appreciate 
that experience, that person, whatever it is that you think somebody is doing something to me or this situation is doing something. So um, yeah, those highly, I recommend them to a lot of people actually. They were very helpful to me many, many, many years ago. Um, so um, yeah, flow state. So I teach people how to get into flow by using color as a catalyst because that's what I used for myself in my painting process because I, so a lot of times people are like, oh, so you use color and you put color into your paintings and you know all this stuff about color. It's like, no, 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 I didn't, I had, yes, I know this stuff about what colors do, and, but I never was logically thinking about that. What I would do to get into flow state is I would work with the colors that I was craving on any given day. And my paintings, including this one, but the, um, you know, a lot of them, they have many, many, many layers of paint. So you, you think that there's like, oh, you know, a surface layer. You, and you can't really, you can't see the depth in my paintings in digital format. You can see a little bit of it, but when people see them in person, I mean, they're like, oh my God, I love your paintings on your website. It's like, no, oh, you got to see them in person. And then they're like, oh my God, when you see them in person, a completely different thing, you know, because there's so much more energy. Um, but anyway, so I started my very first abstract paintings where I'm like getting into flow state, I was just like, I've got these, you know, paintings that were indigo, indigo and violet. And I'm just super craving these colors at that time. Like I'm mixing the paint and I'm like, and again, these were outside of my class. I took a beginner painting class basically to learn how to mix paint, but I couldn't get into flow in the class because the teacher would keep coming around and talking and, you know, I'd get pull me out of flow. So I started painting on my own at home. And then at the end of that, that class, I exhibited my, you know, abstract paintings that I'd been painting at home. And everybody's like, oh my God, these are incredible. And that's when I'm like, okay, now I need to be a professional artist and leave the one-on-one -on -one healing work behind. But um, anyway, so my, my process was, it started because I'm just like, you know, what, what would it be like? I'm just like super craving this indigo. So I'm mixing up on my palette. I'm mixing up indigo and I'm like, oh my God, my eyes are just going, I can't get enough of this color, you know? And I'm just, and it start and I start painting with it. I'm painting on the canvas and a much bigger can, like it was only 30 by 30, but for me, that was a big leap to go to that big of a size because I'd been doing 16 by 20 and 18 by 24. And um, so then I start painting and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just like, this is, oh, feels incredible. You have like no sense of time, you know, that thing where you get into flow where it's complete right brain. There's no sense of time. That's where you lose sense of yourself. You kind of merge with, you know, again, the collective unconscious. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, I know what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. And then I'm like, I get this thing. It's like, oh, you need to take a big blob of white paint and kind of like put it across the, you know, the surface of it. I'm not questioning. I'm just like, and I know it's like, don't judge. Don't, because I know from previous experience, whether it was from, you know, playing classical piano or writing or drawing or whatever, you don't start self-editing. So when I would write and could write these incredible essays, it's like I don't stop in the middle of my thinking to correct my grammar or the spelling or whatever it was. It would be like you just keep going and then, and then it just starts flowing through you and you can't keep up. The words are coming so fast. So it's the same thing with the painting. I'm just like, okay take this, okay, you know, I've never seen anybody do this, take a giant blob of white paint, you know, use my palette and I put it across the thing, okay, now start, spray it, you know, take some medium and spray it. And I'm like, okay, spray it, now put it on the floor, now shake it, move it around, move the paint, use gravity to make, so I start doing all of these things and I'm like, wow, this is really cool, but I'm listening to this voice almost that's telling me what to do. I'm not deciding, oh, what it would be, what happens if I do this? I'm literally being told each step of the way, 
what I need to do next. And it's like a feeling like here, now do this. So that, that was my painting process. And I always had to start with whichever colors I'm craving on that given day. And because my painting, so I could sometimes have like six or eight paintings going at one time. And I would go into my studio because I had set studio days that I would determine at the beginning of the week based on how I'd feel. I never had something. It's like I, but I had to create a flow habit for myself. So this is something that a lot of people think, oh, you're an artist or you're a writer or you're a musician. You just wait for inspiration to hit. It's like, no, you create the opportunity for inspiration to come. So you invite inspiration, but you have to have the discipline to create that practice. So I would have days where it's like, okay, Monday I'd decide, okay, this week I'm going to go to my studio on Tuesday and Friday because I've got some other appointments and this, that feels like those are the days that I want to paint. Cause I never painted more than two days in a week, sometimes three, if I had a commission thing that I wanted to get finished. But, um, so I would determine, okay, I'm going to go in, and then I'd wake up on Tuesday. I so do not feel like going to my studio, but I'd be like, no, I decided I'm going to the studio today. I'm going to be by painting day. Don't schedule anything in the evening. So I would leave lots of time. So when I get into flow, I don't have some appointment lingering, you know, now I have to, have to finish you know, I'm just on a roll right now, but oh, I've got this thing at six o'clock that I have to go to. Nope, it wouldn't schedule anything in the evening. So I could just go in in the afternoon because my peak time would be afternoon. Sometimes I would work until 10 o'clock at night because I'd just be, you know, going and uh, completely tireless and just painting for hours at a time. Um, like that one there, that was like the first layer of that was an eight hour nonstop painting session because I it's like going back and forth and 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 to getting it so incredibly smooth that you can't see any brush strokes or anything like that. Um, so, um, yeah, but I would start, I had to work with the colors that I was drawn to on that day. Sometimes I would start with a fresh painting, like a brand new. Other times it would be like, I'm really craving red and either I'd start with something new or I'd put, I mix up my red and I'm like, ah, this painting here, I want to put a layer of red there because that's going to work with the colors that are already in there. I'm going to put a layer of red on that one. And that's how I would build my layers of paint so that then physics, you know, the light, when you shine light on my paintings, it goes through all of these layers of color, bounces off the background and comes back out to you. So you get your eyes, get all of this color nourishment at the same time. And that literally puts people into flow state looking at them. I've had so many people, it's like, I just, I stare at your painting and I'm like, I go into this meditative state and I've asked people, it's like, well, what are you thinking about? I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just like, you know, they go into this flow. Um, and that's why there, I, what I noticed um, pretty early on that they would have the very strong appeal for very left brain logical people, scientists, engineers, people who typically, and they would tell me all the time, I don't normally like abstract paintings, but I love your work. I don't know, it makes me feel this thing that I don't like, and they would actually try to articulate, but what it's ha what's happening is it's putting them into that right brain state. They live so much in their logical left brain, and they have a really hard time getting over there, and it would catapult them into right brain state, and they'd be like, oh my God, this feels incredible. So they, you know, buy my painting, so I can just stare at this thing, and I just, it feels amazing. You don't have to try to articulate or to understand it, you just know that it feels incredible. So, um, so yeah, that's basically, and I teach people how to do that in my creative flow training program where it's like, we're using color, the colors that you're drawn to 
that then catapult you into flow state. And you not only just have that amazing experience, you get these insights about where you're stuck in your life, what your path and purpose is, you know, problems that you're having in your job or your relationship or whatever it is that you want answers to. And then people like 100% of the time, it's like, oh my God, I thought my problem was this. But I, you know, in the course of doing this, I'm like, that's not my problem. This is my problem. This other thing that's, that this is a problem over top of that. But really, it's my relationship with my father that's, that's controlling how I'm running my business. And I'm not, I wasn't even aware of it. You know, these subconscious things, unconscious decisions that I'm making based on programming that I received from my father or whatever, whatever it is, you know, problems with my relationship. I'm reliving this, you know, drama or trauma or whatever and projecting that onto my partner. So anyway, did that give you any clarity? <laughs> so yeah, using color as a catalyst for flow state is extremely effective. Again, I'm just... You're processing <laughs> Or it's the echo. And it's the echo. No, it's the echo. I have to ease into this. So like I get dreadful feedback right now and then it'll go. It'll be go it's gone. Now it's gone. Okay. Uh, I know you I'm don't get I'm curious to hear when once we hear the, the recorded version. It's only it's on, it's gone now completely. It's, yeah. it's a little bit echo. So whatever. Who who knows why it happens? It doesn't really matter. The conversation here's been unbelievable. But uh no, it, what was going to, what was going through my mind there too is that like I know that there is a lot of sports teams too that are are utilizing like uh, a lot of co color stimulation too to to help to help uh, their athletes in turn you know just help their athletes get into flow states too you know so uh -huh. oh, I didn't know that I didn't, no I mean there there's research about different colored uniforms about how people respond to that but I didn't know that they were actually doing that yeah. well maybe not so much flow states but it's, de it's definitely i know there's dr harrison he's done stuff and that like well i just know that like vision like vision is becoming a bigger thing in sport but i heard that they have yeah. manipulated certain colors to to mm -hmm. get it to get a you know a certain improvement in, in performance or output in certain at least in terms right. of decision making capabilities like per perception cognition uh, or perception action coupling and, and their their cognitive uh, mm. capabilities but uh leanne so we'll, we'll wrap up this has been phenomenal i mean i i could I could literally speak to you for hours, to be honest, on so many I topics. I, I want to. Very I fun to talk to you. I'm sure we could. Yes, yeah, so I'm uh -huh. sure we could for eight hours or more at a yeah, time. Yeah, well, listen, let's do it again, even if it's not a podcast. If it's just chat, because I, I definitely want to talk to you more about uh, traditional Chinese medicine and even just um, um, personal development stuff too. You know, um, mm -hmm. just. Uh, make sure you you fill us uh, i also do want to do an uh, i'd love to do an episode with you on like your actual life products you know and and why you know what i know you said like for years you were like build one leanne like, i don't want i don't want an adventure like i'm gonna have to because people keep sending me these products and they're like can you promote and you're like no i can't because it's shit <laughs> now yeah, i know i know those weren't your you didn't say those exactly yeah. but i yeah. i got the feel of that in your podcast but if yeah. you just ask you like it's gonna be hard for us i always try this uh, quick fire round so they never they never end up being quick fire round but uh books leanne what would be your yeah. what what would be your top and what so what's your top book recommendation and what is your current book that you're currently reading so like one book that you would give away as a gift to say i think this would help anyone who'd read it and then what are you currently reading odd should have given me time to think about this well, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you what if you if it if depends you, on what people want. I mean, like, yeah, you know, when I mentioned the Byron Katie books, because those are really good for reframing everything in your life, you know, like for looking at changing your entire perspective about that's kind of foundational stuff. Yeah, if you big want time. to understand correspondence with color, I mean, there's 
a long list depending on where you want it because again you know um, well when I when okay so as far as like teaching people about you know when because this is the thing now it's like getting people to have a better understanding from a scientific perspective about quantum quantum physics mm. energy medicine the foundation of all of that so the field by Lynn McTaggart is an excellent book but Prior to that, I usually recommend that people read Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief because that's like baby steps. Okay, so yeah. you're going to start coming into this from the biology chemistry perspective and understanding how energy thought manipulates and controls biology. So mm -hmm. how you can use this energy to like measurably change biology and DNA, switch on and off um, DNA. Um, so that as an entry point, the Field by Lynn McTaggart is an excellent book for understanding because, again, she brings in all of this science, hardcore science, scientific research, tells the stories of these scientists that went out on a limb, were often ostracized or completely, you know, kicked out, lost their jobs, you know, blackballed from the, from the scientific community because they were so passionate about, you know, like wanting to understand and learn about these discoveries that they made, you know, like even... The, the foundation of homeopathic medicine, you know, that all of the trauma, the, the strife that these guys and women have gone through because they chose to not be constrained by the minimalist thinking, you know, of these, you know, limited viewpoint scientists that think we already know everything because science has told us this. It's like, guess what? There's, you might know this much, and even that you don't know with 100% certainty, like you said before. And there's all this stuff that has yet to be proven scientifically, and which we've known, you know, we've known not from a proof scientific standpoint, because the technology is not there yet. We don't have the technology to be able to measure and validate a lot of these things. So, um, but what you can measure, you know, like the, the um, Alexander Gervich, I can see, I can reproduce this experiment over and over and over again, but these plants are communicating with each other through UV light. Um, it's actually not light, it's a misnomer, UV radiation. Um, anyway, but, so, but then, you know, it takes from 1922 to 1972, 50 years before Dr. Fritz Albert Popp now gets his PhD student to create a machine because his PhD student says, I don't believe in any of this. It's bogus. You know, there's no way that we give off light. Okay, you pr you build a machine for me that proves that we do not give off light. And in the process of building this machine to prove that we do not give off light, he actually proves that we build we do give off light because you can't. He couldn't build a machine to prove that we don't because the photomultiplier proved that in fact that we do. And then you take now you go to 2012 or whatever for that for the CCD camera at Kyoto University at Kobayashi Lab. That now, how many years later is that, from 1972 to 2012, that it took that much longer to actually have a machine that can now photograph these individual emissions where you, you don't need a photomultiplier to do it. So do you see how long it takes for science to catch up? But we already had evidence, visual evidence, repeatable evidence in scientific you know, research from 1922, and it took all of that time to now have a machine that validates it. So you can't dispute it anymore. It's not, do you know what I mean? So um, yeah, so, but the field 
is a good entry level point for having this understanding and comprehension that this research has been going on out there just because you haven't heard about it. Just like, you know, me bringing all the light therapy research and shining a light on it, but explaining it from a logical standpoint so that people can understand it and also experience it and feel it and actually know. So when people would watch my videos, it's like, I know this is true. I know it because it resonates so strongly with me and I can't believe, you know, why do people not know about this? Why does my doctor not know? So that's where when you have like a, a truth that you just know from an inner core level is true, you don't like bringing in the science helps to validate that and it makes it very helpful when you want to explain this to other people. But the fact is science is so far behind in so many areas and it's still, it's got a long way to catch up. So when people have a very limited viewpoint because it's like there's no scientific research study that says this, it's like, well, actually there are a lot of them. So that's a, that's a very good book, the, the, the field. The Intention Experiment is another excellent one um, because that's all about the power of thought and intention and brings in all of the research that's going on around the world. And, um, and you know, they have these, centers that are measuring these fluctuations in the this thought energy that goes around the world. I mean, when 9-11 hit, it was a few a few moments after when, when the media started blasting out this information, there was this huge spike. I felt it. I felt it. I was on retreat. I was like avoiding all um, electronics. I was avoiding all like media, news, no television, no radio. I was sitting alone in Sicily uh, on retreat in a place, mountaintop, and like within moments of 9-11 happening, I'm like, I have to, I have to turn on the radio. There's something going on. And I'd been, you know, on retreat for um, nine days at that point and pulled out the radio, turned it on 9-11. They had just hit the first tower while I was listening. They hit the second tower. Um, so, and other people also picked that up. They felt that something that happened. So we are all capable. We're like antennae. We're able to feel these things. So every time you are putting thought and energy, thought is energy, you're putting that out into the world. If you put positive energy, that goes out into the world, it has a ripple effect. So, and it reflects back to you like a hundredfold. If you are focused on negative thinking and negative thoughts, you're putting that out into the world too, and it's coming back to you. So it reinforces that. So, you know, I, I have a shitty view of the world, and guess what? Everything that's crappy is going to come right back to you, and you're going to see all of that crappiness. You can shift your thinking and start viewing things in a positive way, spin, spin the perspective, and then you start having all these amazing positive experiences. So that was for me, you know, being in flow state with my paintings, I'm, I'm not even trying, and I'm getting, people are finding me. I've got a website that I just put up, you know, a very minimalist website I've got people around the world that are finding my website in the sea of no SEO. I didn't know anything about SEO. I wasn't doing SEO. I still don't do SEO. Um, but people are finding my website and inviting me to international exhibitions, wanting me to be a featured artist in these global, you know, high-end decor magazines. And I'm like, how, are, how did you even find me? I, I had a website up for two months. Like, where did you find this? And they're like, I don't know. I was just on the web and I got, kind of went here and there. And then I found your website and it's like, oh my God, I love this work. So stuff like that, because when you're in flow, you're broadcasting. It's like amplifying that signal. It's really radiating out into the world. And if you want to think of that as woo, I mean, most people have a real world perception of that. Mm -hmm. um, you feel, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I was thinking about my friend 
And then like the next day they called me, you know, how does that, how does that work? So the intention experiment, you know, explains from a scientific basis. How well, all one, that. one thing, I'm just getting the feedback. Uh, and, and, it's the echo of my it's the echo of my energy goes. still pulsating afterwards yeah. <laughs> and uh it, it, it's uh i remember paul check said this one time and i i always loved the i, I love the way he, he framed this because he was um he was talking to, to he was on a radio show and some guy rang in and, and i think i think it was actually i think it might have been around something through ems but anyway it, it was something that the guy was really challenging paul on in terms of like hardcore science to, to prove this this topic he was he was discussing and then paul just kind of ended up saying like and, and paul was very nice to the guy and he said listen i can tell you're a young male with loads of testosterone going through the veins and he goes i was there too and then paul goes listen at the end of the day do you love love and your man goes what and he goes do you love love? Like, do you believe in love? Have you ever been in love? Have you ever felt love? And your mom's like, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, you know, I love my parents and I, I love my wife. And he goes, prove it. <laughs> so like Paul Cech was like, you'll never find a scientific study to prove love exists, but we, we all love love. Yeah. And we've all had love in some elements in our life. Yep. So like, you know, and then people going, oh, that's a lot of woo. It's like, hold on now, hold on now. Like, yeah. have you loved something or someone in your life? And then I'll go, yeah, you know, I love the dog, at least you know, a pet, you know, or a partner, if they're looking for a partner or they had, you know, parents that really love them. It's like, we've all experienced love in some yes. elements. And it's like, nothing is ever, ever going to prove love or show us what love right. is. But we all know it's there. So, you know, when people well, and- like, talk, talk about woo, it's like, hold on, there's one area of your life where you're, you're letting, you're, you're purely okay with some woo and it's with love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll take that one step further because you can, so a lot of times people think, oh, it's my partner or my husband or my wife or my whatever that makes me feel this way. And they give away that power again. But you can actually create that feeling in any moment that you want by thinking about, you know, what is it, what is something that makes you feel that love, you know, a person in your life, your pet, whatever. And you can like, okay, just focus and, you know, and imagine yourself, you're there with, you know, whoever your loved one is or your pet or whatever. And how does that feel? And you feel, you can create all of those feelings and emotions, you, in your head and in your body and you feel it and it surges, you know, it's this amazing feeling. You can create that in any moment. It has nothing to do with that other person or pet or whoever it is or situation or it's you creating it in any moment. You, you think it's coming from that other person or whoever. It's not. It's you. You can create that and you can have those feelings whenever you want. So, um, again, and all of that is positive healing energy because that feels incredible. And, like, flow state is extremely healing in the body because you're basically tapped in. You've got that energy, that healing energy flowing through you. It's that life force energy coming through you. Yeah. Just so. So, something you reminded me of just let that echo go again just something you remind me of when you were speaking about lynn mctaggart's work and she was talking about like all those scientists that get ostracized there's a, a, a physicist sean carl he was on joe rogan's podcast and like he he was talking to joe about like quantum physics and all this you know and kind of rogan was saying you know do a lot of people still like is there still some physicists who like question quantum physics and all that and like so sean like it was a really in-depth conversation sean was saying like this we definitely are very confident of this we're confident of but like sean was was saying to joe he's like like joe he's like the amount of people when quantum physics was first coming out 
that like got just kicked out of university. So like the, if they if they even brought up like quantum physics with any 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 of their professors or uh, or any of their bosses, yeah, like or anyone who's like into hardcore physics, they're out. And he's like, yeah. now now it's kind of like, oh, you know, that we're pretty confident of, and that like we're we're like so Sean Carr was saying we're we're as confident about certain elements of quantum physics than we are of any any other type any other field of physics. But he's like, when right. it first came around, like people were like were mentioned, they were just like, no, no, out. Uh, yeah. And also another interesting well, because people are threatened by change. I mean, it's the same. Yeah. This goes back to when you know when they they first proved that the Earth is not flat, people, it's round. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, how many people? You know, it's like okay, we're going to burn you at the stake, we're going to kill you because that's heretical, you know? You can't say those things. Yeah, but sure, like fucking people who had epilepsy back in the day thought they were fucking, you know, it was, they Best. were, they were uh, what was it? The devil had a hold of them. Like, it's all, right. it's, it's just, it's ignorance of our knowledge. That's really why. Right. I like, it is. I like when, when it's funny because whenever you see people criticizing someone's work, I, I usually say this, this is a usual saying I say around this area is that, most criticisms are based off false assumptions. So like mm-hmm. people assume that they're understanding someone and they're not. I mean, like the prime fucking example is the Bible. I'm sure if Jesus and if Jesus was even real, I'm sure if he came back, he'd be like, oh, I, I did. Uh, I, uh, it wasn't even him. He didn't even write the fucking thing. He'd be going, oh, he'd be just like, uh, you guys did a really bad job interpreting what I was trying. Well, he, he'd probably blame exactly. himself because he's, he's probably pretty humble. He'd be like, I did a pretty bad job of telling you guys what I meant and you guys really misinterpreted what I was trying right. to get across. I know, because everybody overlays their own filter. I mean, but that's, you know, exactly. the foundation of all religions is exactly the same message, you know? Yeah. Be good to other people, be good to yourself. Help other people. It's basically, you know... Don't, do don't be an asshole. Positive. Yeah, don't be an asshole. <laughs> Put it in the positive. But be nice and be benevolent and be helpful. There's but yeah, I mean, it's like... But, but people do often think that they need the science to validate these things that you know already at a foundational level. Cer- so it, goes back, it goes back to certainty. It goes back to that certainty. Uh, we crave right. certainty. Uh, it just, it gives it, it's a coping mechanism. It helps us get through the day by day, you know, and we do need a certain bit of certainty in our lives. Like, you know, like I, I'm pretty certain that the ceiling's not going to crash on my head right now and kill me. I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> you know, so we, we, we need that element of certainty, you know, <laughs> start like seeing things crumble and fall on your shoulders. Oh, what's that? You just, see, you, just, you just see Leanne pulling out a doll to voodoo doll and me like <laughs> come here listen i i actually have to go now because it's coming up to 8 p.m here 20 minutes sad wow. that's that's, okay. that's that's family time that's the good off time when we got to get some time well for look for i just remembered that it, it, we're almost in january now there there will be an article in the january edition lynn mctaggart has her own magazine called um what doctors don't tell you yeah. and we did an interview um uh god how many it's been at least three months now so there'll be an article in there about wow like therapy um so look for, I, I, I absolutely want to get you back on i i do have one final question mm-hmm. um and if you want to if you i i really do appreciate when people do answer it like in the uh-huh. moment in the moment because i think it's genuine because a lot of people yeah. are all, they start hemming and hawing so oh, can i think about it but i, I love asking this question because I, I just i just love what people's answer would be um, but if you do want to think about it and you just, you just promise me that we'll do a part, <laughs> a part three, that's fine because I definitely want to, I definitely want to speak to more. But the question is, um, if you could invite five people to dinner, huh. dead or alive, oh. who would you invite and why? And see, this is the thing I'll just say for your answer. People, you know, I, I have a feeling that you won't cause you're, you know, you seem to have done so much web 
personal development and self-working yourself you uh-huh. in a really good area but uh, what i find a lot of my guests is that they nearly get into like a panic mode like oh shit i need to be very profound with my answer and then they start going ah can i think about it i'm just like just go with what's in your heart right now because like my yeah. five my five always change it depends on who who i'm um, like where your head is at like what's top of mind awareness like am i reading a book on lincoln which i am right now with his administration team arrivals yeah quite good he'll be he'll be top of mind whereas i'm reading more alan watts he'll be in it you know yeah well i yeah for me it's kind of like the people that i admire the people that are pioneers as well so i i you know i would love to again we've talked about a lot of these people today uh dr fritz albert pop mm. i there's so many things that i could talk to him um because of the the research he's done the research that i've done the way that it overlaps because again, um, Lynn McTaggart, I'd love to have a conversation, you know, like have her to dinner, Oprah. I think that, wow, you know, yeah. the amount of experience yeah. that she has had in her life, the profound effect that she has had on millions of people's lives, that's, you know, super impactful. Bruce Lipton, another huge pioneer, mm-hmm. the whole foundation of epigenetics. Um, I'm sure there are other people. These are just, of course, they're top of my head because we've been talking about them. Who are some other people? Um, um, again, Deepak Chopra. I, you know, I think he's a pioneer. Bring Joe Rogan, bring Joe Rogan, so they can sit at the same table now. <laughs> yeah, I know it's like, but yeah, those are those are five that I would, you know, just from what That's we've talked about today. Yeah, I, I just want to say to uh, Bruce Lipton, like, uh, uh, for it's it just where I was in my life, but biology belief had a profound impact on me. Just like, just like the writings of Joseph Shilton Pierce. Um, mm-hmm. If if you haven't checked out Shilton Pierce's work, you would absolutely, you would. Love I know to- I'm familiar with his work. I don't think I've ever. Oh wait, yes, wait, didn't he do what are what are the titles of some of his so, books? So uh, biology of transcend the biology of tra- tra- uh, the biology of transcendence, which is my favorite book of his. He also has the heart mind matrix, um, okay. the death of religion and the rebirth of spirit, the crack in the cosmic egg, is okay. another famous one. Um, and one that came out like a long time ago. Yeah, um, yeah. well, the crack in the cosmic egg is, is an old enough one, but biology transcendence. Um, uh, the death I feel of religion. Like you read one of his books, like in the you know, Hartman Manish, they're pretty new, Hartman early nineties or something. Cause oh, he he's he only recently passed. Like there, he passed away two years ago, but he was all like he was in his nineties. Uh, he's he'd been around for years. Like there's loads of great videos of him too on on. Uh-huh. The, like, but he's I, like, just yeah, phenomenally. Like, did have one like one of his first, like his big you know I'd say kind so. of like. I'd say so. But I'll tell you what, I'll send you on some stuff I think you'd find interesting in terms of like books like okay, that. Cool. Um, yeah. I definitely think too you, you'd, you'd find some of Paul Check's work very, very good. Because the yeah. great, great thing about Paul is, right, so, so Paul Check, he, he owns the Czech Institute and, and Czech, so his name is Czech, is in C-H-E-K. Uh-huh. Originally that stood for Corrective High Performance Exercise and Kinesiology, but then it was, it actually is Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology. And the thing with Paul is, right, he like so like personal trainers and strength and coach will go see paul present right and then like paul would be like presenting on like just fucking basic exercise shit but then he'd start talking about like the gut and then the mind and the spirit and then like your upbringing and childhood and like coaches just were not ready for that like they just right. like you're talking about like lads who just want to learn right. about set- muscle force you know yeah, well like they, they're not they're not quite as me headish as that but they just want to learn more <laughs> about how to make at- you know in their mind they're like well just tell me what i have to do in in on the gym and the pitch to make this athlete better like i don't i don't understand why you're telling me about like your gut microbiome or breathing or like the, the soil like paul talked about like paul would be like if you don't understand like the soil you can't understand nutrition like you know and he yeah 
you exactly. know, like, we're probably talking about everything, talking about everything, but like childhood experiences and, and everything. Like, so basically Paul could be very like you two, very scientific. Like he'd be getting into like physiology, biomechanics, you know, when it got into the exercise stuff. And then in the very next breath, he'd be off talking about spirituality. Yeah. You know, he, talk, he talks about religion and world religion, spirituality, child development, human behavior, all that stuff. And then you get into energy medicine and all types of medicine and nutrition and like just everything. Like he's, he's encyclopedia. Like, but the, uh, and like, so like he, he can go from being very, you know, objective scientific and then into uh-huh. what people call the woo, you know, Ooh, and one, yeah. one, thing, one thing I will say is, and this, this is, this is the thing that it goes back to what I said earlier on. It's, it's nearly, a lot of those people shoot themselves in the foot because it's how they word certain things. And then sometimes, and it's like they almost do subconsciously, they say things then with real confidence. And if you did question them on it, you'd be like, how are you so confident? They're like, well, I can't really be 100% confident of that. But, you know, they're kind of letting their own emotion then get into that, you know. Uh-huh. Which is not to say what they're saying doesn't have some validity, but it's just like they'll say certain things like, you know, that like, it's, it's kind of in a flow, like they're into an hour long or two hour conversation and like yeah. made some great points and, and you know what I mean? And, and they've kind of reflected a lot of their thoughts and opinions in a very, in a very good way. And then it gets to a point where they start saying things with a lot of certainty. And they're like, Oh, now you're kind of, because they feel like they've already built up. It's like, I don't know. And then that, see what happens is the objective people say, well, look here, like he said that as if like, that's a fact. And so like they nearly give people like some, some rocks to throw at them, you know? So it gets yeah. it gets a muddy again. Do you know what I mean? It gets I know, like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that's where I, I tell people focus on real world, you know, things, yeah. real world. So like when people are like, how do you get such phenomenal healing results with your light device? It's like, because it's not just a light therapy device, but don't, cause then people are like, Oh, what are the wavelengths and all this stuff proprietary? Well, you know, I, people tell me I'm supposed to look at the data and the, the wavelengths and the, the emissions and all this stuff. It's like, no, those are the people that are trying to sell you their product based yeah. on published research that has absolutely nothing to do with their product. And it's a smokescreen to try to deflect you from noticing that there's no real world results. And they'll never go out on a limb and say, our product will do this because they, well, the research says that this wavelength will do this. So focus on that. And by extension, we have this wavelength. So I always tell people, focus on what you know and experience and what you can see in real world results for anything, not just when you're buying a product. I mean, it's like you, you want to go buy a car. You can read all the data about the different kinds of car. You can get a Honda, you know, a Honda Civic and, you know, a Tesla and they, they have four, four wheels and they have a steering wheel, you know, and they've got an engine of sorts. They've got, you know, doors on them. So you have all these things that they both have get in a Honda Civic and drive that and then get in a Tesla, completely different experience, you know? So it's like, you're not going to get to know what makes the, the Tesla have that special, you know, because they're not going to tell you. And you can like look at data till you're blue in the face. You get in a car and you drive it and you experience it. You can have two cars that supposedly, oh, we've got this gas mileage and this level of acceleration, yeah. but you drive this one. And it's like, oh, I feel all the bumps in the road. It feels crappy drive this one. Oh, it's nice and smooth. Yeah. I'm like getting this acceleration, but completely different experience. So there's only so much that data can give you. You have to have the experience and the experiential data. What is the real world experience? You know, so that's where people get, and then they believe people when they're like, Oh, you need data. It's like, no, that's them trying to throw you into that left brain logical tilt state. Because when people get too much science and data, they're like, ah, and they basically, they literally kind of go into tilt and they're like, 
Well, they sound sciencey and they sound like they know what they're talking about. So they let themselves be manipulated to make purchases based on that. And it's it's a very, very common marketing tactic tactic. So um, you, you you know it's been it's proven to be very effective. It's the same way that people sell all kinds of supplements and tell you take this pill and guess what you're gonna like be having sex all the time and all this things like you know all this for one little one little bottle of pills that costs two hundred ninety five dollars but you know it's gonna make your life different change it yeah. and then you're like okay well hmm, about the first bottle you know I I believe in this so much because they're so you know they have so much data like. So that's how people get duped out of the money. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's um, like as we as we touched on it. You know, everything lives on a spectrum, and you know, it, it, you know, usually most things fall into the center <laughs> on on that spectrum. But what you just remind me of there was like, you, you know, so like there's this concept of evidence based practice, but then there's also the concept of practice based evidence. So you you need both. Like, a, a yeah. Paul Paul Check also talks about this concept of education and experience. So he's like, yeah. you, get, you you can get people who are only in one of those worlds. So the education mm -hmm. people are like the academics. You know, exactly. they, they they can recite all the data, but like, so he, he basically he's like, you could, you could go off right and research a vegan diet, but he's like, mm -hmm. if you've actually never went on a vegan diet and experienced it. <laughs> felt what it's like in your body he's like don't 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 be, don't be quoting me research on it you know what i mean whereas I like, whereas like he's like and but he doesn't downplay he's like listen data research very important but he's like if you don't if you don't marry the education with experience yeah it, you, you know it, it's it's just it's it's fruitless like it's it's i know you're not getting that thirty thousand square foot picture that you need to exactly to be able to get a, a whole experience of what it is that you need to, to just to feel that whole experience so it helps you grow exactly. the person. It, yeah. it, it, it's it, kind it, of it, like it's the we'll whole it's it's the whole essence of that movie Goodwill Hunting, which is one of my favorite movies ever. In that good your man Will, so that, that Matt Damon plays, he yeah. like, he's read all these books and he's so smart and actually he has the education, but he never was outside of Boston. Like he never lived life, so he had no experience. And like that whole scene with Robin Williams rest in peace Robin Williams what a great actor yeah. like actually one well, like I, I'm biased like we all have our biases but I'm biased because I actually love this movie because I think I'm uh -huh. so do I yeah oh, I love some of my favorite movies ever uh -huh. and when, when they're on that park bench and this the, the scene before was where Google Hunt and basically Google Hunt and that's his name Will Google Hunt but Will Will says to Rob Williams character like he slates the painting that his wife made and it actually pisses Rob Williams off uh -huh. And I remember Robin Williams lost his cool. And Robin Williams is at home going, why did that annoy me so much? And then the next day they meet in the park. And he goes, you know why that annoyed me last night, Will? He says, you can recite everything. You're as intelligent as anything. Um, but you've never been outside fucking Boston. He's like, you've never, yeah. you've never felt your best friend's hands or your best friend's head in your hands as he's dying in war. Because he's talking about Vietnam where his best friend had his head blown out. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the whole concept of Paul Chenoweth with education and education and experience. Like it's not one or the other. It's not either or you need both. Like, cause you could get people right. who are all about experience. I oh, don't need any research. You don't need to understand that stuff. It's like, yeah. no, because to grow and evolve, we like new knowledge builds on existing knowledge. So we still need right keep researching and doing science but you don't want to just go have all the science and no you know experience and the other thing too is everyone's experience is so like individual you know what i mean right. so it's just it's just the best of both worlds too you know that we it's never either or it's it's everything it's as i as i've been saying lately nothing is in isolation everything huh? is connected the whole yeah. universe and is connected you can think of it in terms of yin and yang you yin, know yin and yang. Well, oh yeah yeah you're like your yin yang um, symbol on your jacket there yeah um, yin and yang baby uh, yeah so, day, um, day, night, yeah, left and right. 
response. That's why I was talking about, you know, I knew that in order to bring light therapy to the masses, they have to have the logical left brain and they have to have the experiential right brain and intuitive and that understanding. Yeah. You have to bring them both together. You can't just do one or the other. Otherwise, people would have gotten this all by now. Nobody connected it for them. So it's the same thing. You know, when people, when people, I see this, it's like now there are all these light therapy experts out there that write, they analyze products based on the data that they get from it. They, you've never even used the product. How can you think that you can possibly write about this? You know, this one says this, so blah, blah, blah. And there, I'm not, I'm, this is, there's an actual book out there where some guy thinks that he's a light therapy expert and has evaluated all these products based on the, the data and the wavelengths and stuff like that. It's like, you have to use the product and actually see what it's like in real world applications. You can't just like, that's like saying, I'm going to do a full analysis of a, of a you know, a Yugo um, versus a Tesla and I'm never going to drive them. I'm just going to tell you based on data, you know, it's like, get in and drive the thing, you know, how does it feel? So Definitely. it's just absurd to me. And then people believe that people believe there's so much, there's so much pseudoscience and pseudo information out there on the web now because people go and do a Google search and they read an article. They don't even bet their sources. They just read and they're like, oh, you know, they take it at face value. Obviously, this person knows what they're talking about because they wrote an article. It's like, do you know how many people are paid to write articles about stuff that they know absolutely nothing about? And they go in and do a little bit of research enough to write the article so that then they can push these products that they get affiliate kickbacks for. And it's all bogus. It's like, it's so, and you know, the whole fake news. Now we know fake news. Fake, yes, there's all kinds of fake news out there. People don't be gullible. Just because you read it on the internet, just because you see it printed, even if it's in a book or in a newspaper, does not mean that it's real. Yeah, so, yeah you know, exactly. I mean, I mean that, that, that's, that's the double-edged sword of the internet. And like, I, I like this I have to go now so but I'll just wrap up with saying like uh, uh, I'll just wrap up with saying that like and again you you haven't heard me say this but I've said this numerous times in my podcast if there's ever one thing just one thing I want any human being to ever take away from an interaction with me is that I, all I want for every single person on this planet is to critically think for themselves is to have exactly. enough, is to have enough courage within themselves to come to their own uh -huh. conclusions on things let go off do your own background research, you know, accumulate, take in that information, digest it, and then have enough courage to come to your own conclusions. But uh, I, I'm all about critical thinking because one of my favorite essays is by Ralph Alder well, Ralph Emerson, Self-Reliance. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that essay. But listen, I actually, like, I have one to. One other remember. thing, though, I have to add, though, you have to not just rely on data. Trust your own experience yeah. because that is going to be more valuable and more viable information for you. Trust your intuition. Yep. Teaching yourself how to, again, learning how to trust your intuition. We get so much information. You know, the enteric gut, we can go on a whole discussion, but that's where we get information that then sends the data to the brain. The brain processes data, but you get this information. That gut instinct is a real thing, and it used to be recognized in Western medicine, yeah. and now it's starting to come back, but, you know, the whole gut, you know, the biome and all of that, that, that's a thing, you know, you actually have a brain here. So <clears throat> anyway, that's, that's, so, uh, that note, that'll that's, be, you know, that's like, that's like when you end a movie <clears throat> and you have that, you know, the cliffhanger and it's like, Oh, you can see they're leading into part two, you know, like that. They're going to make a part yeah, yeah, two. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. That's that, that's for our part two. And then right. There'll be part threes and fours, but listen, this has been absolutely. It's we're on, we're on three hours here almost a three hour oh, marathon. Wow. 
Yeah, so tell you, we're, we're, we're boat and flow, that's why. I know, I know. Time flies. Listen, Leanne, that was absolutely uh, immense. I'll just do a quick good look here to the listeners and then I'll, uh, I'll say goodbye to you offline. So for everyone listening, you are spoiled people, all this free information. But for now, take care, be well, and stay strong. Thank mm-hmm. you.